0: On a very special DC edition of Marvel vs. Marvel One of the very rare few times that me and Willie P Step outside of the Marvel Universe To look at how DC Comics Especially these historical ones Have influenced the Marvel Universe Paved the way for the foundations of Marvel Because make no mistake without it Without Batman and Superman There would be no Marvel Comics Without this Batman movie, there may well not be any Marvel major movies going because this was the movie that really showed movie studios and big media companies what superheroes can do, not just at the box office, but on the toy aisle mm-hmm. as well, the merchandise, the video games. Do you remember the Batman video game, Will? Uh, there were, From this there, movie? There were several. Well, she-
1: Yes, I remember... The the one from this movie. It was Mega Drive and probably SNES as well. There was... Well, it depends on the... I remember playing the one on the Amiga and I think I played one on the NES and there were two different Mm -hmm. games. But, yeah, I remember it was really hard. You had to do a a lot of uh, grappling. Yes.
0: uh, It was really hard. I hated it. I'm not good at games. In the first half, me and Will really took a very special look behind the scenes on how this movie got made, the journey that progressed it along over the years... Jack Nicholson's crazy contracts. The people that were gonna play the Joker, gonna play Batman. We pulled that all apart, thanks to Mr. Hollywood. We then went behind the uh, the page to look at how the character was created. Who is the most important figure behind the behind the page? And. How the character changed over the years. How were you like? How did you uh, find discovering all the different radical Batman changes from like the forties to the fifties, the sixties on through?
1: Oh, fascinating! I mean, I knew Silver Age Batman was crazy, but man, that uh, Batmite, jeez!
0: <laughs> and then we uh, got to learn about the world of nineteen eighty nine. The context to which this movie is released, we heard from from very important people that wrote in with their personal reflections and recollections of this movie, whether they were there at the time or experienced it a couple of years later. We paid some bills and talked about some very important people over on patreon.com slash and I want to make sure I'm giving a big shout-out and as much respect as possible to that world-class wrecking crew that dig deep and support this show in the most... Uh, important way possible. These guys are the foundations of Marvel versus Marvel. I'm talking about Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Beer Sam, Bindi, P Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q. Love and respect to all of the wrecking crew. Now it is time for the patented MVM deep dive into Batman 1989. Right.
1: We're going we're gonna to get out the Betamax from your granddads, <laughs> put it in the car, drive
0: back. Plug it up, in, connect it, find the, right, uh, find the right sockets to plug it in. and f-
1: Find the right channel because it's an RF connection. You don't know. It's probably uh, it's chan- channel 8. Top,
0: top loading. It didn't slot in. It, it, you loaded the Betamax from the top. We had a top loading
1: uh, VHS. I remember it very oh. well. Plug it into the Hitachi TV with wood panelling on the sides. And we're going to press... On a busy night in Gotham City, a family rushes past endless crowds and tries to get a taxi cab home, but after several unsuccessful attempts, decide to take a shortcut down a particularly squalid alley. Turning around a corner, the father is knocked out by a thug before stealing his wallet and escaping, leaving the mother to scream in anguish. Hearing the scream, a shadowy figure on a rooftop nearby makes its move so let's start the Danny Elfman theme tune and very stylish opening to this film where we're sort of going down what appears to be a 3d model of the Batman logo still sends shivers down my spine like we don't know what it is at first it's brooding it's mysterious but very compelling the score to this movie is so important to its success it's it's unbelievable. I remember. I don't know. I couldn't find it for the production notes, but I remember reading years ago that there was also not controversy as, as Carsten Keaton, but there was criticism at getting Danny Elfman to do the score because he was considered more of a rock star at the time than an actual composer of this kind of. Yeah, he's a pop star a guy. Pop star guy. They thought, what? What is he? What is he doing? But this would become such a staple for superhero. Uh, film composition i think he really paved the way here it's uh it's got that very old-fashioned type of grand score playing that i love it's very yeah it's it's, grandiose grandiose Um,
0: and it uh, because it's grandiose it adds an element of kind of a myth mythic
1: feel to it it's mythic it's it's scary it's almost romantic in places there's a very sort of dracula-esque Sort of tone to it. It's mm. so good. It works so well. Everything about it. I mean, I'll talk more about it as we go along because there's some bits I really love. Uh, cinematography and set design as well. I mean, we've talked about it before. Anton first uh, design, but bloody hell, that one shot at the beginning where you see the big, wide establishing of that big street in Gotham and everything's bustling. It's like, this is the feeling of Gotham being a real city, but also one that doesn't exist because you have tall Art Deco buildings with horrible exposed piping and these high walkways between them. It just feels fantasy, but fantasy that's very tangible. It's so well done.
0: It doesn't feel like it's from any area you can put your finger
1: on. It's a a mishmash. It's It's a hodgepodge. it's
0: both familiar but a- an alien at the same time you
1: get a person you get a, a father walk running down the street right with a big raincoat and his fedora hat and the wife's looking from a similar thing like the 30s and the 40s but then you also have people like dressed more in like late 80s gear listening to ghetto blasters and it's just such a oh, I, I just love the way they've done this it's i, I adore it right i'll continue As the thug shares his loot with another thug, his partner gets nervous and tells him about another thug being attacked by the bat. Behind them, the shadowy figure descends in silence, wings spread out as the first thug repeats himself, there ain't no bat. Hearing a noise above them, both thugs turn up in horror to see a black figure with a tremendous bat-like wingspan. The figure pounces on them, but the first thug pulls out a gun and fires at the figure, dropping it to the floor in an instant. However, as they turn to run to the door, the figure rises up from the floor, unharmed, and advances on them. The second thug is kicked through a wooden door, causing the first thug to run in panic, but not before the the figure throws a boomerang-like projectile on a rope at the thug, tripping up the The villain. Sorry. Sorry, the, the, the moment where Batman
0: rises up is yeah. very supernatural. It's very Dracula-esque, as you, as you alluded to earlier. I was that gonna, is a yeah. straight from a horror movie.
1: That. That's, I, I was going to say The Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, The, the Undertaker takes you from Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great horror movie trope. For, uh, that that that's per, per, persisted For decades, and I, I I never get bored of it. Resident Evil do it to death. Um, sorry, but not before the how thi- many
0: how many thugs? Because the thug count is at four hundred right now. I'm so
1: interesting to yeah. To I, see. I I I because 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 you, <laughs> you, you were like, see. oh, could you not use he and she? Could you actually just say who they are so we don't get confused? You replaced it with the same problem. You just instead of he and she, it's thug and thug. <laughs> thug and thug. Thug and thug. Give him a rug for a thug and thug. But not before the figure throws a boomerang like projectile on a rope at the thug. Tripping up the villain before getting dragged back to the fearsome figure. Picking up the thug and... (laughs) not going to be able to keep a straight face now. Picking up the thug and dangling him off the side of a building, the thug pleads for his life. But the figure, in a low growling voice, says he won't kill him, but wants the thug to tell everyone he knows about seeing the figure. When asked, What are you? the figure replies, I'm Batman. Throwing the thugs aside, the villain watches in astonishment as sorry, they watch the villains watch in astonishment as Batman walks off the edge of the roof to certain death. But when the criminal looks over the edge, all he sees is an empty alley. As we said uh, just earlier, just a great introduction to the character here, scary mysterious but we kind of know he's on the side of good because he's beating up criminals but oh if you didn't know anything about batman and saw this for the first time you must have gone like oh who's he what's what's going on with this because we there's Hmm. no explicit explanation it's only through the context of a famous comic book character that we know he's the good guy not a horror movie villain or something worse
0: well, he's stopping bad guys. He's stopping he bad guys. He doesn't kill them.
1: Yeah, but you know in horror films where the first kill just happens to be some, some low life and then it's like, oh, you know. I suppose so, like yeah. Like that. Also, as mentioned in the letter section, one of the thugs, thug, is played by Christopher Fairbank, who is better known in this country for playing Scouse Plasterer Albert Moxie in the comedy drama Alvida Saint Pet. Great series, that. Great. I only watched the, uh, one of the more recent ones they did uh, where they uh, where they're going to America? That's the only one I saw, and that was enjoyable. But I never watched the old ones. Uh, everyone says they're good.
0: It's a fascinating time where to get like to get work, you had to move abroad. Mm. You know,
1: it was one of those things. I think it was a thing about the, the EU and stuff where you could just travel between places. Yeah. But yeah, mad. Uh, the line though, the line "I'm Batman" actually wasn't scripted, Rob. Uh, it was a result of Keaton and Burton deciding to make a last minute change. That scene had gone through several variations on paper, including I Am The Night and I Am Vengeance. Once actually filming, though, neither Byrd nor Keaton were happy with how those scripted options sounded. So Keaton decided to ad-lib, I'm Batman. In the
0: comic book adaptation that I had and read cover to cover before seeing the movie, they obviously were working off a script, of the old script. Because ah, yeah. He says, I am Ven- I am the knight. Because one of the characters says, you don't own the knight. Yeah. He says, I am the knight. I am vengeance. I am Batman. Uh, and, of course, it's not quite the same in the movie.
1: I swear he said that exact same line in an episode of the animated series, word for word.
0: Maybe yeah, he does. Maybe
1: he does. So, Rob, you're the expert. I like to think I know my fair bit about Batman, but, you know, you, you're better than me, obviously. Uh, Batman is portrayed like an urban myth in this scene, as we discussed. Is that something they took from the comics? Does that urban myth thing resonate with you? Is that
0: is that something that you... The idea that there's a myth about and no one quite knows what's going on with Batman?
1: And oh, it? resonates with me a lot because, Rob, I, I love my UFOs and stuff and all my kind of urban legends and my modern stuff like Creepypasta and SCP Foundation. So I like this air of mystery around something that can't be explained. So I and of course urban myths are fantastic because they just spread like wildfire. But
0: but does it do you connect it to Batman? Is it something that from your thinking?
1: <laughs> it's not 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 specifically to Batman because I I grew up with the 60s TV show as well. So we just know him as oh he's just a force for good. There's no mystery mystery mystery. It's just he's <laughs> yeah. there. He's he's like a he's like another public
0: service basically. It's a it's a very popular concept attached to Batman these yeah. days and it's quite a, it's quite a, a modern um, quite a new idea yeah. um, and of course all the original uh, stories Batman is like the number one celebrity in Gotham <laughs> um, he's always at charity events yeah. he's always engaging in these giant sci-fi fights in broad daylight in the middle of the city and he's best friends with Superman and In in, in the comic books, it kind of really begins in Frank Miller's year one story from 1987, which is the most um, modern retelling of Batman's origins. Um, It was a super stripped back, kind of urban and edgy, and it feels more like the writers of The Wire doing a Batman story. Yeah, I Um, remember reading it. It was very, very good. For my money, I think it, it's, it's one of the very, very best Batman stories. Mm. Um, and it portrays Gotham City as this kind of full of organised crime and corrupt cops, and, and then this urban vigilante appears beating people up, and that's where the idea of him being an urban myth kind of begins, um, and... Sam Hamm alleges he never read that before writing this script. Mm. And I'll keep coming back to that as the similarities
1: overlap a lot. Did I just say, could, um, you keep call, could you call him Sam Hamm, comic book fan? Sure. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in
0: 1989, um, a, a new comic book series comes out, um, right as movie is in theatres, called Legends of the Dark Knight, which is kind of a follow-up to Frank Miller's Year One. Mm. And he it, it tries to include a lot of... Because after crisis on infinite earth dc have jettisoned all of batman's backstory and history because we can't have him running around with batmite that can't have happened (laughs) that never happened he never went to the mars he didn't fire a giant robot guy so legends of the dark knight seeks to fill in the time between the year one story and what is happening with batman in the current day which is about five to eight years later mm. um and there's an awful lot again there's all stripped back stories they're fantastic if you ever get the chance legends of the dark Knight is a great series of, of of um collected different stories they're kind of generally between like three and five issue story arcs with different writers doing every one um it's great to get into that's where the urban myth th- thing kind of like mm. carries carries on from um and it, uh, beyond this movie, in 1994, um, DC, they have another, let's reset the continuity again. <laughs> oh, and when
1: was this Sorry again?
0: 1994. Oh, because they um, did it the other year this, as well. Yeah. And this mm. event is called Zero Hour. Mm. And following Zero Hour, the new editorial mandate is, from now on, Batman is back to being an urban myth that no one knows if he's real or not and no one talks about, which is madness... It works in Batman Year One and the first couple of years of Batman, but to carry on with that idea when the character is blazing around the city four times a week in a Batmobile and a Batplane, and he's on TV with the Justice League every other week, uh, but that's what they try and do for a bit. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah there we. It, 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 the for what it's worth, Sam Ham comic book fan. Uh, says that the inspiration for this opening scene it comes from a 1970s um, Batman story called Night of the Stalker, mm. um, which is a wonderful short story. Um, Batman witnesses uh, muggers attacking a family. They shoot and kill someone in front of the child, and he's haunted by his own memories of, of, of his beginnings. And it's a great story about uh, Steve Angelhart, and this uh couple this artist couple, Sal and Vin, uh Amandello. Um and so it's an entirely silent Batman relentlessly hunting down this gang of muggers. And no matter what they do to escape or stop him, he just keeps coming, not saying a word. Um, it's very like Westworld and Terminator um, until he's got all of them one by one. Night of the Stalker, yeah. Um, obviously, that doesn't carry on completely here, but yeah. Sam Ham, the comic book fan, said that's wh- ha- where he took inspiration from
1: amazing yeah. uh just uh, talking about the many times dc have rebooted <laughs> the continuity when people would i was having a conversation about the the recent uh james gun taker of the taker of the dc uh universe and people were complaining oh they've got rid of superman or henry cavill they're doing this they get rid of that and i said surely resetting everything like film wise is the most on-brand dc move you can do with the films
0: yeah yeah, I do think, it's quite interesting, I do think that that being a comic book fan has prepared me so much better for movies than people, people seem to want their movies to be sacrosanct, and I come to it from a, no, because you get a different writer every yeah. year, you get a different, and then the character that changes and this changes, and you, you, you kind of have to be more fluid in how you view these things. But Absolutely. I can understand it being, look, Listen, I, I left DC. I I stopped. You know, it took took a little while, but when they did um, Flashpoint and the New Fifty Two, it drove me away from DC Comics. It was too many changes that were bad. Too many good writers leaving. Um, I was, I was, I was jettisoned from the fandom. They made me not feel like part of it anymore. People must have felt the same way in the eighties after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah,
2: I I can totally Um, imagine.
0: So it can happen to people. You can just feel like, no, you took the thing. I was really enjoying all of that, and you got
1: rid of it. Mm. Oh, well. At a formal evening, the mayor of Gotham introduces the city's new district attorney, Harvey Dent, to the press, who gives a brief speech on his intent to work with police commissioner James Gordon to bring down the criminal organisation run by mobster Carl Grissom. Watching the televised speech from a lavish lounge, Carl Grissom's second in command, Jack Napier, watches intently with Alicia Hunt, Grissom's supermodel mistress, who is having an affair with Napier. Alicia makes a passing comment about what Grissom would do to Jack if the mob boss found out about their affair, but Jack smiles and said, He's a tired old man who can't run Gotham without Jack. Jerry Hall there, playing Alicia, romantically involved with yet another evil man. <laughs> big stretch for her. <laughs> big stretch. <laughs> She's always attracted to just horrible, evil men. Uh, again, great work setting up another important character here, uh, Jack Napier. He's sleazy, egotistical, but cl- uh, clearly a bad person. Also, his response to Alicia complimenting his appearance, I didn't ask. Just pure narcissism. Jack Wonderful. yeah, h- hits it off from the word go. He's so good in this. In the alley where the family was attacked... The thugs are taken away by ambulance as the police investigate what happened. Surly corrupt detective Lieutenant Max Eckhart scoffs at... Thug. It's Eckhart. E- they don't say Echart Eckhart in this, mate. They say Eckhart. I'm trying to think how... um how uh, Just pronounce it how they pronounce it in the movies? It's Eckhart. I'm trying to think how Jack Palance pronounced it later. Get me Lieutenant Eckhart. Okay, Eckhart. 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 <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a Scottish name, isn't it, Eckhart? I have no idea. (laughs) Oh, it's Eckhart I'm thinking of. Eckhart. Anyway, (laughs) Lieutenant Max Eckhart scoffs at Thug's claims of being attacked by a giant bat. The next second, reporter Alexander Knox approaches uh, Eckhart and and, uh, chirply questions the detective about yet another bat sighting. The eighth reported one in just under a month but the frowning detective stonewalls the journalist about the existence of something so ridiculous. Brushing off the reporter, Eckhart sneaks down a nearby alley to meet with Jack Napier and his men. Handing the detective his bribe money, Jack tells Eckhart that Dent has been sniffing around one of Grissom's front companies and wants this dealt with. Eckhart reminds Jack that the the detective only answers to Grissom. And not Napier, and has a reputation of a psychopath with apparently no future in Grissom's organization. Napier physically threatens Eckhart, pushing the detective, uh, pushing the detective out uh, against the wall, and pulling his revolver on the criminal. With Bob, sorry, pulling on. For, sorry about this. I'm, I'm tripping over my words here. With Bob, Jack's lackey, to point his gun at Eckhart. Eckhart defeated, lowers his gun, and Jack smiles and walks away with Bob. You see what I did wrong there. I put, I, I wrote too many words. You got
0: tripped up because you were interpreting pushing the detective as if it was pushing him, yeah. when what you meant was pushing the detective to pull out his revolver. To pull out, there we go, there we go. Okay. You were pushing his buttons to.
1: Oh yeah, that's oh, what you meant. I can't even read. I can't even understand my own words. <laughs> so uh, Robert Vaughn, who played Knox, uh, I haven't seen him in a lot of things, but always felt he played the same guy in everything he's in.
0: Yeah, he's a very um 80s he's got a very 1980s
1: face. He's he's got the kind of like yeah, he's a side character who makes the jokes all the time and is a bit of a he's not he's harmless but, you know, a bit of an annoyance, but, you know, not too bad. If Steve
0: Guttenberg had dropped out <laughs> of the Police Academy series, I think, or if they'd done a, they did, the fact they did do a TV spin off of the Police Academy, yeah. and obviously Guttenberg wouldn't agree to be in it, yeah. I would get, I would bet Robert Vull to, to to play the Guttenberg
1: esque character. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of um, Police Academy, uh, Robert Vull wrote two episodes of Police Squad. One of, wow! One of the most underrated American comedies ever. That, let, of course, led to the Naked Gun films. Brilliant show. Uh, also, uh, we'll talk about uh, Lieutenant Eckhart in a second. But I'm really surprised because uh, I, I know this character from the from the animated series. I'm just really surprised they just didn't use Harvey Bullock instead of Eckhart.
0: Well, they it's so the earlier versions of the script hmm. featured. Um, Rupert Thorne, who then Sam Ham changed to Carl Grissom. Yeah, and it was Sylvia St Cloud who was changed to Vicky Vale. There's an awful lot of this sort of changing uh, character names and stuff. Uh, and quite so maybe in an earlier version it was Bullock and Sam Ham decided to change the name.
1: Yeah. Oh well. So. Lieutenant Eckhart then, because it does sound like they just made him up for the film. Uh, is that is that the case? Yeah, he does he looks a lot like how Harvey Bullock looked in the in the in the eighties.
0: Exactly. Um but his personality's quite different. Mm. Um in this time period Bullock had been a a I think he was probably in his clumsy bungling cop era. <laughs> uh where he would intentionally um, screw-up police investigations under the cover of being a bumbling idiot. Um, but nothing is out-and-out out awful as this. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's probably a lot closer to Arnold Flass. Um, Flass is the corrupt cop in Batman Year One that shows Gordon the ropes when he first arrives in Gotham. Although Flass is tall and blonde and... Mm. Um, kind of like a f- different physical specimen, yeah. Um, but uh, he's got some, yeah, some similarities that. But then again, Sam Ham, comic book fan, vehemently denies having ever read Batman Year One.
1: <laughs> Wasn't there another uh, similar comic book that focused on Gordon's early years?
0: I mean, maybe there's been seventy-eight years
1: of Batman comics. It's either that, or I'm getting it confused with what happens in Batman <laughs> Year One as well. Anyway.
0: So. Yeah, Batman Year One does focus on... I mean, yeah. so Batman Year One starts with Bruce and Gordon ret- coming to Gotham. Ah, Gordon's yes. coming to Gotham for the first time. Yeah. Bruce is returning after his trip away. Um, And it's it's the two different
1: eyes seeing the city again. Yeah. And that's that's I, kind of it. I need to go back and read that. I, it's I've a great, great comic. I've only read it once, but I've read Return of the Dark Knight several times, and I think that's unfair. It's miles better than The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. The next morning, the mayor, Harvey Dent, and Commissioner Gordon argue about the upcoming birthday for Gotham City and how Grissom's presence in the city could spoil the occasion and keep people away. At the Gotham Globe, Alexander Knox is mocked by his colleagues for obsession with Batman. Sitting at his desk is Vicky Vale, a photojournalist looking to get shots of the Batman, to whom Knox is immediately smitten with. Brushing off Knox's advances and getting straight to business, Vicky believes that working together to break the news on the existence of the Batman could net them a Pulitzer. Knox, thinking not with just his brain, jumps at the chance to work with Vicky. So, you got a nice uh, Bob Kane reference sketch uh, with a sketch in the newsroom, although after listening to you talk about uh, the history, feels a bit bad. Should have a bit of a bill finger there.
0: He's a consultant on this movie. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's it. the one and only creator of
1: Batman. Mm. So if only he could have gone back 15 years, Rob. If only. Oh, but he didn't. He, he could, because he was there 15 years he ago was there, you When could. he wrote
0: hateful letters about Bill Finger. So there you go. God.
1: Oh, I really hate him now.
0: <laughs> I really hate this guy. A lot of... Have you ever seen... There's uh, a... Someone... I forget who did it, but an artist did oh, a... Oh, I know what you're about. It's... um. Yeah, it's Batman
1: in a world where Bill Finger didn't exist. And it's awful. That's where uh, I've that's where I know how it looks. It's the red right, costume with yeah. the blonde hair, and it's like, no, no. So further on with the anachronistic Gotham City they have here, like even the newspaper guys look like they're from the forties. They're wearing one of them wearing bow ties. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like
0: um, Brian Singer kind of recreates this approach with Superman Returns like mm. a decade later. Um, and it didn't... I, I loved the look, but
1: it really turned audiences off. Yeah, we, we were talking about this uh, on the tube to the Radio 1 thing. Not Radio 1. Radio Times not on about Radio Times thing. And yeah, we were talking about why, you know, we liked that film, but why did it do well? And it was just not enough biffing. Basically, yeah. yeah Not enough violence So, Alexander Knox um, Is he a character from the comics Or is he based on anyone from the comics? So,
0: uh, Sam Hamm
1: says that Knox
0: In this in, in the original versions of the script Was meant to work out Batman's secret identity No way um, In the earlier drafts, yeah And that would be a plot thread towards the end of the thing uh, And that he based this on an old 1940s story Honestly the stuff that Sam bases his his things on is so weird. It's all 40s stuff. Yeah. Um, an old 40s story where Batman's secret identity is discovered by reporter Scoop Scanlon. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be a nickname. Scoop Scanlon, reporter. And he wears a yellow zoot suit like Jim Carrey in The Mask. Amazing. And Scoop Scanlon works out Batman's secret identity by simply reading lots of old case files and realising that Bruce Wayne has been at the scene of dozens of Batman cases for no apparent reason. <laughs> so for reasons that we can't go into, <laughs> Batman is hosting a radio show.
1: Uh, <laughs> like like <laughs> Frasier <laughs> Crane in a mask. <laughs> Sorry! Oh, God! It's, it's, it's part of... It's part of that's I'm vengeance, of- I am the knight Here's our we with take on me
0: <laughs> It's part of Some ridiculous plot To force some criminals out of hiding um, Scoop Scanlan Rushes into the studio And announces to the whole audience That Batman is Bruce Wayne And demands Batman answer these Accusations in front of the live audience So Robin Pretends to faint <laughs> And Batman says All this excitement, it's overwhelmed the lad. I'm just going to take him into this quiet room over here, and then I'll definitely be right back to explain how I'm not Bruce Wayne. Um, And then as soon as they get into the room next door, Batman closes the door, and he's like, he knows he's effed. Uh, And that's when an actor bursts in and says, Hello, I've just been shot by a mugger, and I'm slowly dying. (laughs) How about... I you give me your mask and costume and I do you a favor and pretend to be Batman for a bit so everyone sees that you're a different person to Bruce Wayne and then I'll die. And so <laughs> that's exactly what they do. And <laughs> sk- <laughs> the dying actor wearing a Batman costume hobbles out of this room along with Batman uh, Bruce Wayne Scoop Scannon in the studio audience see Bruce Wayne emerge walking side-by-side side with Batman, who is for some reason bleeding heavily and dying. <laughs> Crisis averted.
1: <laughs> if you have the webcam on, you see him actually crying. Like, oh, gee, Will, what was your favourite f- trivia about the episode? scoop scan scoop Why wasn't ba- that in the movie, guys? Yeah, why wasn't Batman hosting a right-wing talk radio show? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Thank (laughs) thank you, Silver Age. Thank you. No, that's that's Golden Age, baby. That's 1940s. Oh, God. I love it. The best
0: bit is when Robin goes, I'm fainting. And Batman catches him and says, Oh, this is... Oh, I know you've asked me a tough question, but my friend is fainting. Oh,
1: man. Incredible. Anyway, let's get back to the film. Ah. Meanwhile, in an incredibly tall and and ornate skyscraper... Carl Grissom meets with his top men over Harvey Dent's publicized intentions to move in on the criminal's front at, at at the Axis chemical plant. Sitting in the corner playing with his deck of cards, Jack Napier nonchalantly suggests that they break into the plant and take all incriminating records under the cover of industrial espionage. In favor of the suggestion, Grissom assigns Napier to the dangerous task before dismissing everyone. Jack, Nervous about the task, approaches Grissom about the risk of breaking into a chemical plant, but Grissom assures him, calling Jack his number one guy. After Jack leaves the room, Grissom makes a direct call to Lieutenant Eckhart, intending to take out Jack. I love Jack Palance here. Um, very, very short role, but he nails that comic book mob boss brilliantly. He's almost like Satan. Mm. Very the way he speaks that very creepy sort of talk and the way he goes he goes who are my number one guy sort of thing.
0: Why is the actor Jack Palance important to Marvel Comics? We've already talked about him in one
1: episode. Oh jeez what Oh, come on, come on you going to Uh
0: when Roy Thomas and Gil Kane were creating Morbius they based Morbius's face on Jack Palance. That's the photo reference that uh, Gil Kane used. <laughs> Morbius is drawn to look like Jack Palance in uh, in the nineteen seventies. Bloody hell! Palance had never played a vampire before when they did this, <laughs> and then two years later, hmm. um, Palance plays Dracula in a uh, in a very cool and influential TV movie. Ah, very good. I, I, I,
1: I've barely seen Jack Palance in anything, and I feel like I'm missing out. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula
0: is kind of fun. Is he in that? Ah, so the TV movie he's in is called Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> right? Okay. And when they were doing the movie later on, they had to kind of come up with a deal and yeah. But the interesting connect like, like that movie, the TV the TV movie that's called Bram Stoker's Dracula, is the very very first time anywhere in fiction that they connect Dracula to Vlad the
1: Impaler. Ah, yep yeah, very important. Which
0: which then they they copy in the uh, the. The Keanu Reeves movie. God, that's a
1: mental film. I love it. Love it. Yeah. So that evening, Gotham billionaire Bruce Wayne hosts a fun... I'm
0: going to stop you here. Okay. You have a tendency to do this when we're looking at old films. Here we go. And I'm just going to say, I don't think any of these people are ever called billionaires in
2: 1989.
0: <sighs> um, I, and it's not a major correction, <sighs> but it just makes me remember. Like I, I, you know, you see all these um. Uh, Mills and Boone books, right? <laughs> yeah. And Harper, Harlequin romance and stuff. Yeah. And you can tell that the, the society has moved on and times have changed because they used to be called things like My Millionaire Boyfriend mm-hmm. and now they're all called My Billionaire Boyfriend because a millionaire is just not quite good enough. Because of inflation. But back in the day, Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne were millionaires. They were not billionaires, I don't think. And then it's gradually crept up as time has moved on. So it, it just, it just, I, I you know, it's nineteen eighty nine. A billionaire in
1: eighty nine would be would you know, be something. You know, when I, when I stop uh, the podcast to talk to you about the logistics of something that happens in a superhero film, yeah, I now know how you feel. Mm. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah, Spread me- it on toast. <laughs> you are getting revenge on me. Anyway, that evening, Gotham millionaire Bruce Wayne hosts a fundraising event at Wayne Manor, a mansion on the outskirts of the city. In attendance, Alexander Knox, Vicky Vale, Harvey Dent and Commissioner Gordon. While Knox tries to get information on the Batman from Dent and Gordon, Vicky tries to get some one-on-one time with Bruce Wayne, ending up talking to him without realising. Watching her walk away, Wayne is mesmerised by her. The next minute, Gordon gets an anonymous tip from Eckhart that Napier is breaking into the Axis chemical plant, forcing the Commissioner to leave the party immediately with his men. Breaking from the party and wandering around the manor, Knox and Vicky come across Wayne's collection of exotic armour, mocking the bizarre displays, not realising Bruce is right behind them. The millionaire playfully introduces himself and after a conversation about Vicky and Knox's investigation into the Batman, Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce Wayne's butler enters and informs his master that Commissioner Gordon has left very unexpectedly. Hinting that something terrible could be about to happen in Gotham. Leave, leaving the journalists, Bruce rushes to his underground lair, the Batcave, to go through the CCTV footage at the party, where he hears Commissioner Gordon's tip off about Axis <clears throat> Chemical Plant. I uh, love seeing Michael Keaton in the role of Bruce Wayne in this. Uh, there's something about his performance that suggests some, someone who is deeply troubled. Without being depressed or angry, almost quirky in a way. There's something off with him, subtly off.
0: Yeah, still warts and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's different to how I'd expect because when like <laughs> anyone else plays him, they play Bruce Wayne very typically, like a millionaire millionaire. Uh, you know, especially when when Christian Christian Bale did it, I always thought it was just Patrick Bateman again. He was just doing a Patrick Bateman voice.
0: Well, they but they're doing. In general, what they're doing mm. l- 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 well I suppose, in this scene we don't get the we don't get that much of it he's not affable and foppish, yeah, he's not pretending to be this foppish loser that you couldn't possibly suspect of being Batman mm. he's kind of being himself, yeah, whereas yeah. an awful lot of other actors play Bruce Wayne like Bruce Wayne is another character being played by
1: yeah Batman or whatever you want to call it that but that's that's pretty much exactly what's going on here he it comes he it, it, it comes off you know quite witty and intelligent and it's like okay yeah, yeah. shame we never got to see uh Billy D. Williams as Two-Face in the later film but as I said uh, they did a DC Comics did a, a comic called Batman uh, 89 uh if you can find it give it a go very good read so Harvey Dent, it's really weird going back to this Because I knew about Two-Face And then I come back to this film and go Oh my god, that's supposed to be Two-Face Oh my god, I didn't realise at the time When I was watching this originally mm. of, You know, when I go, go back to this So, in the comic books Do we actually see much of Harvey Dent Before he becomes Two-Face?
0: No um, Oh, shame in, 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 the, in the... So, he's introduced in the mid-1940s And mm. the, the way comic books were sold Well, the way that they were created Is that there was no long term storytelling so you Mm. wouldn't introduce a character to have some sort of build up and an arc to then become a villain because of the way that comic books were sold they were sold very irregularly Mm. via newsstands and magazine stands and it was unusual for kids to be able to get hold of every issue of Batman Mm. every month in sequence so comics had to be created in a way in which the stories began and ended in one single issue Mm. Otherwise, readers would miss an instalment of the story and give up on the comic. And in fact, at the time, you'd probably get two or three or four or five different short Batman stories in each comic. Ah, um, yeah. So he's he's originally introduced as Harvey Kent. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know exactly when they changed the surname, but his, he is Harvey Kent for the whole first issue that he's in. Um, His nickname, Apollo. Here oh. he comes, old Apollo Kent. Very peculiar. Um, And we're told he's a dynamic and crusading district attorney. Mm. uh, And then on the same page, he's splashed with acid. So there's not really much of a, you know, seeing him uh, before he becomes sort of two-faced. We don't have much build. um, But we are then told several times in that issue that he is Batman's friend. Mm. We don't see much of that, but we're told several times. Um, and, And then from that point on, the focus of two-face stories is is the gimmick um of of his crimes the the number 2 always being used and yeah. and you know that 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 flipping the coin and everything it's quite interesting that like a the the when he first goes around as two-face we get essentially like a vox pop of different different like members of gotham arguing mm. over whether Two-Face is a good guy or a bad guy (laughs) because he flips the coin to make every decision Hmm. so half of the time the coin lands on the good side and he gives money to charity and he saves (laughs) a little old lady helps a little old lady cross the street the other half of the time he's like stabbing people and stealing stuff and so Gotham doesn't know where they stand on Hmm. horrifically deformed Two-Face um we get a modern version of Dent introduced in, in Frank Miller's year one in 87. Ooh. And he's, he's kind of briefly shown as the district attorney. And we see that he's an ally, and informant of Batman's. But it wouldn't be until, after this movie, until 1996 with the long Halloween that we get a more fleshed out telling of his
1: early days that's good. Uh, I mean, my uh, exposure to Two Face was through the uh, animated series. But what they did was they actually built up Harvey Dent as a character before making it Two Face, which was such a great move. And I always remember the two parter that did it. It was just you know he gets in the, the he has an explosion basically, and then. Yeah, you see his face. It's like, oh, God, he's disfigured. Now he's evil. Oh, It's always, always, always love Captain Two-Face. It's not acid in the face. No, it's explosion. Yeah, it? it's explosion. Yeah, they changed uh, that, obviously, for the cartoon, because that would have been a bit, I don't know. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's quite grim. Yeah. It's quite grim. Anyway, speaking of acid, outside Axis Chemical Plant, Lieutenant Eckhart briefs his men on Jack Napier, ordering them to shoot him on sight. Inside the plant's offices, Napier and his men break into a large safe, only to find it empty. Jack and his men have been set up. Cautiously making their way out, the gangsters are ambushed by police and a firefight ensues, perforating various chemical tanks, spilling toxic liquid throughout the plant. Commissioner Gordon arrives on the scene and takes command of the situation, ordering that Jack Napier is to be taken alive instead. In an attempt to ensure an escape, Jack sabotages the controls for the chemical tanks, causing them to rupture and spill, forcing some of the police officers to retreat. Two of Jack's men take this opportunity to escape, but come face to face with Batman, descending on their walkway. Using his batarang and rope, Batman trips and lassos one of the criminals over a walkway, leaving them swinging below, pleading for help. Just as this is happening, Commissioner Gordon spots the swinging gangster and is then startled to see a figure above proving the rumors are true. The Batman is real. With no one else to turn, sorry, with no one else to turn, Jack takes an axe to another chemical vat, spraying its contents all over the floor before escaping away from the police uh, from the police up some stairs. Uh, fun fact, uh, the name Jack Napier uh, was a tribute to to actor Alan Napier, who played Alfred in the 1960s Batman TV show.
0: Oh, I thought it was a tribute to Charles Napier, the actor, (laughs) who is in, you know, stuff like, uh, he was in one of them, uh, oh, I can't think of the name now. He was in lots of things. He's in uh, Rambo, he's in uh, Austin Powers. Oh, he's in Russ
1: Russ Mayer movies. He's the kind of... A really gr- gr- gravelly voice That kind of one Yeah
0: he's, he's in, he's in a, a couple of Russ Mayer movies And Super Vixens or something like that
1: Yeah um. he also uh, I was replaying a video game uh, Return to Castle Wolfenstein uh, And I don't know If that's him but it's someone with his voice uh, Just a second I'm just going to see if it was him Yep yeah, yep yeah. Charles Napier played a video game Character and you could tell it was him Immediately from his voice love his voice that's my tangent done with. <laughs> so I love the uh, Commissioner Gordon's reaction uh, to seeing Batman. I just oh my god, you know that, that shock. So Commissioner Gordon, a very important character. When does Commissioner Gordon first meet Batman in the comics? Is it like this or is it a more friendly setting? Well he's 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 right there, bang. At the
0: very start of the first appearance of of, of Batman Detective Comics number twenty seven in nineteen thirty nine, mm. um, he's the very first panel of the first Batman story, huh. uh, the case of the Chemical Syndicate. Um, but he's like he's um, Bruce Wayne's good friend um he's white-haired cigar-chomping older man mm. um he doesn't have a first name to begin with but they do eventually name him after a um uh a pulp character called uh James Wildcat Gordon um <laughs> so they they take the they take the same name um and to begin with in 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 the, in the 40s he hates having he hates that his police force are made to look like bum- bungling idiots by this cool Batman character. And he hates that there's a vigilante touting around town and um but then as we talked about, as the pulp elements start to leave in the kind of start well, the first couple of years of the forties, um, Gordon softens an awful lot and eventually they not only work together, but um Commissioner Gordon deputizes Batman and Robin and makes them Official parts of the police force, they're no longer vigilantes. Um, and then in 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 uh, that that year one uh, retelling of the origin, we get a kind of a reimagined younger Jim Gordon, mm. um, and we see that he's a little older than Bruce Wayne, um, and he's no longer this grizzled old man chomping a cigar all the time um he's expecting his first child and he transfers from a very corrupt Chicago police department after causing a big stink there and he comes over to Gotham and he finds out the whole police force is crooked and in fact the only honest man in Gotham is this weird vigilante and <laughs> it's uh, it's a great it's a great and a much better um dynamic
1: I think yeah yeah it's a really good dynamic the firefight between the police and Napier's men rages on with Batman picking off criminals from the shadows one by one. Approaching the exit on the walkways above, Jack sneaks out of sight, watching the police move below. Grinning an evil smile, Jack aims his revolver at Commissioner Gordon, but before he can fire, Batman swings in and disarms the gangster before lifting Jack off the floor. However, Bob approaches Gordon from behind and holds the commissioner at gunpoint, demanding Batman to let Jack go. Taking no risks, Batman slowly lowers Jack. The gangster goes for his gun to shoot Batman, but when he turns around, the Batman is suddenly nowhere to be seen. Confused and looking for the Batman, Jack is alerted to Bob yelling below about them needing to leave. However, Jack spots Eckhart on the main floor and fatally shoots the detective for his betrayal, mocking him with the detectives earlier remarks. As Jack readies to leave, he spots Batman several feet beside him and takes a shot. But Batman uses his armoured gauntlets to deflect the bullet which hits a control panel sending shards of glass into Jack's face In in sudden shock and pain. Jack stumbles off the walkway, grabbing onto Batman's hand as he hangs over a large vat of toxic green chemicals. However, Jack loses his grip and plummets, screaming to his death into the deadly-looking goo. The next second, Commissioner Gordon, frustrated at not being able to take Napier alive, orders the Batman to stop in the name of the law, but the masked vigilante escapes through the plant's roof using a grapnel gun. Meanwhile... Outside the plant, in the waters where the refuse pipes pump out waste into the river, several playing cards float to the surface, followed by a grasping, discoloured hand. Great little set piece here. Great, uh, incredible stuff. Uh, Great pacing, nice little twists, and the villain gets a dramatic, quote, death. That hand, raising out of the water, always creeped me out as a kid. Such mm. a very Tim Burton image that complete with like almost like the black nail polish as well, and torn glove, God, God, love that, love that so much so i uh I understand that this was kind of the origin in uh the killing joke, but what is the joker's real origin in the original stories? We don't get an origin on the joker until the nineteen fifties. Wow. Um, you know,
0: where Batman is at a college, <laughs> teaching university students about an, a decades-old unsolved case, um, okay. the case of the mysterious Red Hood. Um, and as they're going over the case, the Red Hood has reemerged, committing more crimes. And Batman and the students like capture the Red Hood. Pull his hood off, and it's revealed to be the janitor of the college, <laughs> okay. and and he goes, oh, no, it's not really me. I found the real Red Hood, and I tied him up in that shed, and I've been <laughs> committing crimes, framing him as it, getting away with it. So they go and like rip the mask off whoever's the the real Red Hood is, and find the Joker in the shed, mm. um, and the Joker explained he was a he worked at a uh, monarch playing card company um okay. and he was trying to steal stuff from the from the playing card company he's thwarted by batman he falls into the um chemical waste and and survives but but all these things have happened and he's dead, driven insane by by the accident and then as you alluded to in in 1980 just before this movie, eighty eight, yeah. um, a short story that may or may not be con- pro- part of DC continuity was released called "Batman: The Killing Joke" by by Alan Moore with gorgeous artwork by Brian Bolland, mm. who's more of a artist that paints front draws front covers than he does sequential storytelling, um, and this portrays, um. The, the the man, whoever the joker is is a failed comedian mm. who has a, a tragic life with his uh, wife dies and his unborn child dies and he um, he's already got involved in uh, working for a criminal organization who uh, they just put anyone under this red hood to be the figurehead of their gang mm. to take the to take the heat after guys. Um, and he's forced to go ahead with this robbery, even though his wife and child have died, and he doesn't need the money anymore, and he falls into a um, uh, a, a vat, and uh, we get the same kind of outlay. But but in that story, <laughs> the Joker himself says, I have no idea if this is true or not, because I'm insane. Um, <laughs> and he says that if I'm going to have a past, I prefer that it's multiple choice. Mm. Um in fact, nothing about the story should really be believed, um, yeah. based on on kind of how Anna Moore puts the story together, um, and what the what is the actual joke of the story? Uh, is it believing the Joker? It is left to open interpretation. We do know that Tim Burton had copies of the Killing Joke on set during the filming of this movie. Mm. Um, so, um, so yeah. Although the character of the Joker will. Ca- oh, you mean you mean Whackin' Phoenix Joker? Nope, I said the character of the Joker. Oh, sorry, said the character in the Joker. Sorry for that. Nope. nope, never mind. The character of the Joker yeah. was only really make, meant to make two appearances and then be killed off. So in Batman issue one, he appears in the Joker and then another story called The Joker Returns or whatever it's called. Um, and he's meant to die. In fact, at the end of that, he's stabbed, he stabbed in the heart at the end of the of the second adventure, um, uh, because Bill Finger didn't want Batman to appear inept by having recurring villains like this, (laughs) but was overruled by the editor, Whitney Ellsworth, um, and they included a hastily drawn panel that said, Hello, I'm still alive, and I will return, even though I was just stabbed through the heart. Bye! Um, The Joker would then go on, (laughs) after issue one, to appear in... Nine of the first twelve issues of the Batman comic. So Bill Finger was roundly defeated in that. I don't want a recurring villain.
1: I get the logic behind that, you know, because you don't want, you know, but that. But it's kind of like in comic book narrative format, you kind of need to have a have these characters continue. But
0: the comic book narrative format didn't exist. Yeah. They were, they were inventing it as they went along. That's fair. They Trial didn't know what, was gonna,
1: you know what was going to connect. and um, Yeah. Incredible. The next morning at the Gotham Globe, Knox and Vicky try to figure out where the Batman usually appears using a map of his previous sightings. The newspaper headlines report on Batman foiling the robbery at the plant. Knox asks Vicky out to dinner to discuss Batman more, but she can't, as tonight she has a dinner date with Bruce Wayne. That evening, Bruce and Vicky dine together at Wayne Manor. But after a very stilted dinner at the grand table, they decide to take their food to Alfred's quarters, where the butler entertains Vicky with embarrassing stories of Bruce as a child. Asking about Bruce's family, he responds, "Alfred is my family." The long shot, the shot of the long table after she asks for the salt, is a solid visual gag. It's just. It is, but it also carries a lot of like
0: character information yeah. and kind of How emotional emotional kind of connotations and stuff.
1: Yeah, um, it, it does, but it's just, I, I still find it funny to look at on a video. I'm yeah, saying you can't, I'm, I'm, oh,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm saying it, 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 just, it works on, on a couple of levels. This yeah. whole scene is really lovely, it's really yeah. nice. It actually works, it, I think it's kind of, even in 1989, it feels like it's hard. To say to the audience Hey guys You want to come and root for this uh, Rich millionaire <laughs> um, Whereas this kind of Casts him In this kind of role as Oh actually he, he eats in the
1: servants quarters With his servant He's a good egg Yeah He's a good egg He's a man of the people Also it was nice I, I thought Michael Goff's uh, Alfred in this scene Was very laid back Probably because he's wearing a cardigan It just felt very mm. Cozy this little Paternal. bit Paternal Yeah very lovely. So he's a very important character. Uh, I, I imagine you have so much to tell us, Rob. What can you tell us about Alfred the Butler?
0: Uh, he first, um, he first appears in 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 the early forties. Mm. Um, Bob Kane and uh, not Bill Finger, but a writer called Don Cameron first kind of introduce him. However. Um, he he really is created first by Columbia Pictures when they're making the 1943 um, theatre serials, the 15-chapter mm. Batman serials, which would be short, you know, kind of in the old 40s before long movies. You'd have um, cliffhanger serials that you go and watch, mm. and you'd have to keep going back every month to see the next instalment. Um, and uh, they were introducing a... Um, they're introducing alfred into the the, the, the the serials and dc comics said well let's put him into a uh, put him into a story and the story was was published before the the movie serial came out mm. um as he first appears he's completely different he is overweight no mustache he's like a roly poly dude Okay. Um, and then the uh, the the movie comes out, the serial, theatrical serial comes out, and the actor William Austin is trim, svelte, and has a thin mustache and looks like the dapper English gent. Yes. So the DC Comics change the appearance, and they have Alfred uh, go to a uh, health resort where he slims down and grows a mustache, um, which is quite a nice little touch. He's originally conceived as a comedic foil for batman and robin he did not raise bruce wayne he arrives when bruce wayne is a full on adult and already batman and he arrives with a cockney accent <laughs> uh and just turns up one day saying i'm here to on on the on the on the doorstep of Wayne Manor, I'm here to start my duties as your butler. Um, And he makes bungling attempts to be a detective on par with Batman and Robin. And, you know, that's kind of the, that's the general comedic role for Alfred. Um, Again, it's the 40s, by by 43, 44, we are moving very much away from the pulp um, dramatic stories and we're going into this kind of, more light-hearted tone, mm. um, and uh, yeah, as time goes by, they, they pivot away from this, and um, we established that there's a a bit more of a role for Alfred. He's a retired intelligence agent, but that's all hush hush. And he used to be an actor, and he his father used to used to bottle bottle for the Waynes, and his father died and said, "You must carry on the." the tradition of serving the Waynes. And so there he goes and he turns up and he he kind of does all that and stumbles across their secret identities. And yeah. Um, but it's odd to have an Alfred that, if he's not a comedic foil mm. and if he's not the father figure to Bruce Wayne, which he isn't at the, in this mm. in-between bit, he's kind of serves not much of a role. No. So the post-crisis... When after the crisis on infinite Earths and they kind of reset the whole continuity, that's when we get Alfred has been the Wayne's family butler for all of bruce's life and then we have our and Bruce and he helps raise Bruce Wayne after his parents died and he helps establish the the career of, of the early days of Batman. Um, and he's the legal guardian and, and all that kind of stuff. Because originally in the early days, um, FYI, Batman has an uncle who raises him. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then okay. eventually they go, oh, no, that's weird. He shouldn't have an uncle. He needs to be a complete orphan. So they get rid of that. But you need a legal guardian, so it becomes Alfred. Mm-hmm. And in, in in Frank Miller's year one, Alfred's kind of described as being an integral to Bruce's war on crime because he's a butler with military training who yeah. can dress wounds and patch up bullet holes and stuff. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I like this p- portrayal of, of Alfred in, in the movie, but I'm not sure he's kind of a hodgepodge of several different ideas.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's to be expected. I mean, we have seen so many people play Alfred. Plus, uh, he had his own TV show, didn't he, Pennyworth? Did he? Yeah, there was a there was a TV show about the origins of Alfred the Butler. Sure, yeah, that's, yeah. that's that makes sense. Yeah, yes, I think yeah. after Gotham finished, they went. Ah, oh, let's we've got to do something else now, and then they did Pennyworth. And I'm sure it was all right, but it does seem very. There ain't no milk left in those teats, baby. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Anyway, meanwhile, in a backstreet surgery, a doctor unwraps the bandages covering Jack Napier's face. The doctor stares in horror at the gangster's face before handing the gangster a mirror. Upon seeing his face, Jack bursts into maniacal laughter before staggering out the surgery, his laughter bellowing louder and more unsettling as he goes. Back at Wayne Manor, Bruce and Vicky passionately kiss on their way back to his bedroom. Later, in Carl Grissom's penthouse, the gangster is surprised by a dark figure at his door. When the figure starts talking, Grissom realises it's Jack Napier, who he assumed was dead, and feigns relief at him being alive and well. Jack, shrouded in shadows, slowly advances on Grissom, revealing that he knows that Grissom set him up to be killed at the plant over Jack's affair with Alicia. Seeing that Jack has a gun pointed at him, Grissom tries to bargain with him, but Napier responds with, Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. As he says this, Jack walks out from the shadows to reveal his transformed features, a terrifying bleach-white face permanently in a rictus grin, as well as bright green hair. Laughing with psychotic glee, Joker whimsically fires round after round at Grissom, executing his former boss. How do you whimsically fire a gun? He does it through his legs while laughing. <laughs> he, he does it behind. He's doing he this does. fancy root and, toot and shooting. It's like there is. Root and a, toot and shooting. I, I was looking at this, writing the notes, and thinking, "How do I describe the way he's killing him?" <laughs> whimsical is the only word I can uh, think. The surgery scene, I, I still find it just brilliantly creepy. Great you, thing is, uh, Tim, if I remember right, Tim Burton is a huge fan. Of German expressionist films or is influenced in some way by German expressionism, which uses a lot of co- contrasting shadows to create mood and whatnot, which is a uh, common in a lot of, you know, <clears throat> you're looking at me like I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I was
0: going to say, I, I, for, for me, it struck me very much more as he's, he's paying homage to film noir. But, yeah. um, which, again, is using... You know, if you think of the pulp traditions, pulp traditions of the character... It's probably more uh, and, that, than ...and the yeah. noir things, the use of shadow and light and stuff. But there's a lot of influence on film
1: noir from German expressionism, so you're not wrong. You know, see what happened there? I went too far back. <laughs> <laughs> I went too far back up the river. But, yeah, oh, God, and not revealing Joker's face, giving us that, you know, oh, something's really unsettling here. God, it's, it's good. It's so good. And the, the, the reveal as well, where he kills Grissom, is such a brilliant scene. The tension, the whimsy, the grin, it's all there. And set against a brilliant, up-we- upbeat waltz, that, <laughs> that Danny yeah. Elfman puts in. It just works perfectly, because it's a horror, it, you know, it's a frightening, you know, scary, ten- tense scene. But then this music comes in, he starts laughing, and you're, you're kind of confused how to feel, because mm. there's whimsy, but there's death, and it's brilliant. So, But, <laughs> Leading up to this, you can sometimes, depending on your bright TV brightness, you can just about make Joker's white face in the darkness. Which, in a way, actually makes it a bit more creepy.
0: Mm. Oh, right. So if you've if you've got the brightness up or something, a little bit up,
1: just enough. You, it's still hard, but you just see this faint, ghostly face yeah. in the darkness. And I don't, you know, depending on how you know, it's all about conditions of reception and whatnot, but. The dark figure or that ghostly face Either works just fine The surgery
0: scene There's, there's not actually a scene like that In the original Joker mm. origin story But there is a similar scene to it In the uh, the first Two-Face appearance um, ah, As he is re- taking off all the bandages One by one like that And when Harvey, uh, Harvey Kent <laughs> sees his face in the uh, in the disfigured face for the first time in the mirror and kind of goes mad, yeah. and then of course there's a very similar scary scene like this in The Killing Joke,
1: um, which yeah. you know Burton had on set with him. So oh, yeah, God, I'm going to have to read that again. I've got the hardback downstairs at Wayne Manor. Vicky Vale awakens in Bruce Wayne's Grandmaster bedroom to see the millionaire sleeping upside down in a frame similar to a bat. Meanwhile, sitting in Grissom's chair, Joker spots a newspaper headline about Batman and laughs at what he has planned for Gotham City. The next morning, Vicky tries to pin down Bruce for another date, but Bruce lies about being out of town for the next few days. But Vicky realises the lie on the way out. At Alicia's apartment, the supermodel faints upon seeing the ghastly grinning appearance of Jack Napier sitting in her lounge like a ghost from the past. So... We don't need to say too much about it. I mean, Jack Nicholson's Joker is such an iconic role. He goes from scary to hilarious in an instant. Easily one of the most entertaining and uncomfortable villains I've seen in comic book movies.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I don't think,
1: I, 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 don't, I, don't think he, I find him uncomfortable,
0: but I think it's a great performance.
1: There, there, there are times I'm, you know, when you're young and watching, going, well, oh, what's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? Because you know, you're thinking mm. like, there's tension when it's tense and you don't know if he's going to kill someone randomly or something yeah yeah okay yeah. no no not not for me i'm afraid No. i but... just a coward yeah baby <laughs> big baby at a sit-down meeting with the heads of the other crime families joker wearing makeup to hide his freakish appearance introduces himself as head of the grissom crime syndicate now that carl grissom is missing joker proposes to run the city into the ground on the city's anniversary festival however his plan is met with blank stares with one of the gangsters refusing to go ahead with it, approaching the man, Joker shakes his hand to show no hard feelings. Suddenly, smoke starts emanating from their hands. With Joker gripping with the hidden with the hidden overpowered hand buzzer he has on the gangster, so he has on as the gangster is reduced to an incinerated carcass. Suddenly, Napier's men storm the room with machine guns and force the rest of the crime family's heads out of the room. Before having a conversation with the corpse, Joke orders Bob to tail knocks to see what he knows about the Batman. This is another great scene that I remember as a kid, but uh, man getting burnt to death." It's just horrifying.
0: I guess I know what you mean. to me, and it certainly stayed with me as a kid, but to me, it was no it was so over the top in mm. camp. It was no different to Temple of Doom or something like that. Yeah, I mean Temple it of Doom just, has those it,
1: moments, but <laughs>
0: it just yeah, it felt it felt like it's not it's not. I wouldn't say it was brutal. I wouldn't say it was gory, but it 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 it, it alludes to it being gory.
1: Yeah, so it's the illusion of it because you know we're not seeing like skin blistering up and horrible stuff or <laughs> no, or, it's, or, just, it's steam just steam. It's just steam. It's like yeah, it's like that, but it's just the corpse afterwards just looks so ugh. And also, Joker riffing on him while he burns, like you know, oh, we got a hot right one under the collar, you know. Just it just works so yeah. well. It's just oh, I love it. It's it scenes like this that made me surprised, like how I could watch this as a kid. Though it's just like apparently I'm fine. I'm fine with watching that. Well,
0: again, it does depend on what you saw because yeah. if you watched it, if you saw. As as I think I did yeah. the 1991 BBC edit yeah. and taped it off that, then it, you'd, you'd probably not seeing that, are you?
1: Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah.
0: It's cutting around it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Oof. So uh, that other bit I liked in this scene, the Joker responding, he goes, "Boy, he's got a big grin. Like, what's with the big grin?" And it's just him looking up with the flesh coloured makeup on, going, "Life's been good to me." Gets yeah. me every time. It's just ridiculous. So, we've talked about his violence and how dark he is in the comics, but has he ever been, like, this brutal?
0: Like well, when, he, when, he, when he starts, um, he's a remorseless serial killer hmm. and, and jewel thief. Um, he's not... Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's also not funny.
2: Oh.
0: He's, he's a serious, sadistic figure. He's not making jokes at all. It's just he looks like the playing card, the Joker on the playing card. Uh, he's not interested in anarchy or chaos. He's just cold, hard cash. Um, and then when DC found it easy to market his stories to kids, that's when they they change the Joker and he becomes this wacky but harmless prankster. And that's mm. when he starts to have to live up to the... He's got to kind of be funny or trying to make jokes, otherwise what, what else is there to him? Um but he becomes very ineffectual. Uh, in one story, he kidnaps Robin, and Batman pays the ransom by writing him a check, <laughs> 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 which, of course, the Joker can't cash. Um, so there's stuff like that. You know, in the 50s, um, a lot of the elements, as we've talked about, uh, of the pulp elements are stripped away, and the Joker becomes very, very kind of harmless and, and comical and... Hmm. He's uh, he's not violent in the slightest. In fact, there's no violence whatsoever. Um, and it gets to the point where they... I think he, he has like a five or six year absence from the comic books because the writers just... He'd been overused and oversaturated so much in the period where he, he couldn't be aggressive and violent. They just ditched him. Mm. Um, and then when, when Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams were kind of doing this great run on, on, on Batman in the 1970s, the early 70s, they revive... Robin. Um, they revolve the Joker. Sorry, yeah. and he is back to his impulsive, homicidal. That's when he becomes actually impulsive and homicidal for the first time. Mm. He's violent, but it's a combining the wackiness of the Silver Age, yeah. with the violence of the original version of the character. Um, he, he, he mm. we get the idea that he's legally insane for the very first time. Um, <laughs> that doesn't happen until the seventies, and that's why he's. Not in prison, but he's in Arkham Asylum, which is easier to break out of. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it in the mid seventies. He gets his very he get he's the first supervillain to get their own comic, the Joker.
1: No way. Um,
0: yeah, um, wow. and he's still violent in that, but to like members of the public and other other villains, not to superheroes. Um, and they have to balance his personality a little bit to try and make him yes, he's a violent criminal, but we've got to make him a little likable to be a protagonist.
1: Okay. Um, okay.
0: And uh yeah. Of, yeah. The Big Return was this the big return? No. But but later on, the 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 Joker that seems to like define the Joker for decades to come and has been marked as a as a as a um influence on this movie is the joker as written by steve angel Hart, in um in the uh, late 70s mm. um, and this stories that emphasize his insanity and his impulsive homicidal nature the laughing fish is the one that gets a lot of attention mm. uh where the joker is emptying joker toxin into the rivers uh. to put that horrifying grin on all the fish in the river Mm. Um, and his plan is to copyright protect the fish
2: so that he <laughs> owns the
0: fish <laughs> and that's his whole emphasis Is I'm, these are mine now and he goes to the copywriting office and they're like you can't copyright a natural resource, it's legally impossible also aren't um, you wanted for murder <laughs> he, 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 and then he, he kills them so mm. yeah it's the, it's the, you can't really understand the character from that point on, you can't get into his head he's impulsive and he's insane and he's a murderer so yeah it's a it's a rainbow yeah Joker. it's a rainbow
1: yeah I, I could never understand you can never get through to him At the globe Vicky tries to find more information on Bruce Wayne's life but can't find anything in the newspaper files. Tailing Wayne through Gotham, Vicky watches as the millionaire approaches a derelict alley and places two roses on the ground with a mournful look in his eyes walking over to Gotham City Hall Wayne watches as the crime bosses walk down the steps amongst a throng of reporters asking why they have filed an affidavit to take over all of Grissom's businesses until he returns as Vale gets close to the crowd trying to find Bruce a group of playful mimes wander up the courthouse steps as this is happening Bob secretly starts taking pictures of Knox as ordered while also getting a shot of Vicky Vale. As the reporters ask further questions about the legitimacy of Grissom's signature on the affidavit, Joker, in fancy formal attire, suddenly emerges from the crowd before wandering up to one of the crime bosses and killing him with a poisoned feather quill. The next second, the mimes pull out machine guns and pistols, opening fire on the courthouse steps. As the Joker escapes in a car, Bruce runs up to the window to get a good look at him. Recognising the maniac The next second He sees Vicky Vale And turns to leave Guilty of lying to her The pen is mightier than the sword Yeah That's a joke you see coming a mile away But still delivered great
0: The costume designs in this movie are fantastic Like someone sat down and gone Okay the Joker's costume in this scene Is going to be this And then it's going to be strikingly different now Strikingly different in the next scene And on and on it goes It's wonderful
1: It's like they they really got to the heart of the character and went, yeah, he's impulsive, he's a maniac, he's very clown-themed. But it's just like, yeah, we're going to put coattails on him for this because he's informal at And the little lipstick, the little... Lip- yeah. Oh, God. So, uh, crime bosses uh, fighting over Gotham here. Uh, what's the underworld like in Gotham as Batman gets started?
0: Well in the old stories in the '40s and stuff you never really got much depth. it was just fighting gangsters mm. um, with this year one storyline we do get more depth into the criminal underworld and we are introduced to the Falcone crime family ah um, yes yeah ran by carmine the Roman mm. um, and falcone the Falcone family competes with Sal the boss Maroni um, and his organized crime family um, and Maroni was an old old um Batman character Because he's the guy That throws the acid In Harvey Dent's face ah. um, But Falcone always Has the edge In year one Because he's protected By the corrupt Police commissioner Gil Loeb And it. So that's We don't get it Because that's just Come out A couple of years Before this movie you know there's not a, a huge amount you know that had been written really mm. about the kind of the organized crime in gotham in the old times in the 1990s we get this great story the long, long halloween and then dark victory which is a they essentially chart the fall of traditional organized crime in gotham um as batman comes to the forefront but then also the freaks like Joker, the Penguin, and Two-Face, and yeah. other colourful lunatics, essentially cut the boring organised crime out. And by the end, I mean, there's even a scene right at the very end where, is it Falcone? Or Moroni? One of the gangsters comes back to their desk, and like all the freaks have occupied their office. And Joker's <sighs> in a chair, and the Mad Hatter's there, and Poison Ivy's there, and mm. Solomon Grundy. And it's it's like... This is the changing of the guard in Gotham. This is when the freaks take over. And the organized crime, the Batman of the 40s, the pulp era, is gone. Mm. And we get these wild, costumed lunatics moving in. Oh, Solomon Grundy's a bit of an odd character, isn't
1: he? We obviously won't go into him. They're all odd characters,
0: Will. Yeah. We're talking about a clown man and then, you know, a dude that. Post riddles to
1: the police. They're yeah, all odd. But Solomon Grundy's a zombie. He's practically a zombie.
0: Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, he, 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 fear, he, one he guy dressed do- as a scarecrow and uses fear gas to poison people. I right? know, but that's all science and that's grounded in reality. But when it gets to myth- mystical zombies, I'm like, you know.
0: Um, yeah, I suppose it's.
1: It's slight, it is slightly out of the ordinary for Batman. Yes, yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, he had a good appearance in one of the Arkham games. He was fearsome. Anyway, watching the news coverage of the City Hall shooting, Joker is angry to hear the reporters speculate Batman being involved in his scheme. At Wayne Manor, Alfred talks to Bruce about Vicky, hinting to his master that he should see her again. Changing the subject. What? you've glossed
0: over a really great bit, which is where he punches the 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 the, 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 the TV in with the with the expendable boxing glove thing. That's just a
1: visual little gag. Yeah, it's because that just
0: stood out to me as a kid. Always, I thought that, it was really
1: cool. It's great because it's the it's it's the Jokerization of the trope of shooting your television out of anger. Or Elvis Presley apparently shot a television out of anger and mm. it became a. A sort of a trope or something of so when you're angry. Ah, shoot the television, you know, you know that yeah. thing that like gang gang leaders do or something in in films where it's like, ah, oh, we're going to show him he's a badass, so he gets angry at the television and shoots it.
0: Put a boxing glove on it. But a boxing I, glove. Did, as at, a kid, as a kid, I just and you could buy them, and I just loved this idea of a boxing glove on a on an extendy shooting out thing.
1: It was really oh, cool. Great little bit. Changing the subject, Bruce tells Alfred that Jack Napier is still alive and needs all the information that they can get on him and his men. As Alfred leaves to deal with his master's request, Bruce agrees with his butler that Vicky is indeed great. At Vicky's apartment, she phones Knox and tells him to get all the information he can about the street that Bruce laid the flowers at, knowing that this could lead her to finding out why Bruce is so secretive. See, I... is this stuff I love uh, in Batman uh, stories is when it just shows how Bruce just cannot lead a normal life and Alfred just wants his master to be happy yeah it's that it's it's like uh, when we talk about Spider-Man and we're talking about him juggling uh, you know taking after his art man trying to pay the rent but obviously Bruce Wayne's a millionaire here but he can't he can't invite people into his life he has to have this distance from everybody yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel myself having deep wells of sympathy for Spider Man, and I don't feel myself having that for Batman. Whether yeah, it's because okay. of the money in the house and all of that, or or the the whole, you're kinda, are you kind of aren't you not just doing this to yourself? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know.
1: Okay, you got me there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could walk away at any moment. Yeah. Okay. You don't
0: have great power. I mean you
1: have great money, maybe that's your power, who knows? With great money comes great practicality. I you know, I'll work uh, on
0: uh, it. And and it's
1: it's also it's oh
0: no, I'm gonna have to I oh Alfred, I if only I could go on a date with that supermodel <laughs> <laughs> My life is too hard. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay man. Oh, yeah, God, no, it, sound, that, it, sound, that it sounds. It right, sounds rough. It you, sounds rough.
1: You you shot that right out of the sky with a rocket launcher, bloody! <laughs> well, you know devil. what I mean? It is. It is. Yeah, it is yeah. Spider
0: Man is trying to afford to pay for his his sick aunt's prescription medicine, right? Yeah. And Batman is like, "Tell the supermodel, I'll be late." <laughs> like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, poor lonely orphan boy. I'm yeah. I'm I'm one of those people. Exactly, this is expected from me because I'm one of those people who watched the end of Succession and went, "Oh no, the, the poor billionaires!" Oh
0: God, <laughs> you people!
1: <laughs> because that's what happens. You follow oh, them. No, and- Tony Soprano
0: died What oh, <laughs> happened? <laughs> Did he deserve that?
1: Yeah, I. Oh man, I'm a fool for that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> at the Joker's penthouse. Bob provides Joker with the photos he took of Knox. When Joker sees the photograph of Vicky Vale, he is instantly and intensely smitten. Along with his plans for Gotham, Joker also has plans for Vicky. Later at Axis Chemical Plant, Joker gives the order to ship the entire stock of chemicals they have been producing since he took over the business. On that evening's news show, one of the newsreaders reports on mysterious deaths where the victims died with an intense smile on their face. As the programme continues, one of the newsreaders gradually collapses in a fit of hysterical laughter before falling on the floor. As the paramedics go to help, the news station signal is hijacked by the Joker in the form of a campy advert announcing to the city of Gotham, that he has infected various cosmetic cosmetic good with Smilex, a deadly nerve agent that leaves the victim with a rictus grin similar to that of the Joker. As the paramedics try to help the newsreader, she lies dead and smiling. I uh, I, I love that 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 news scene. Just it it's freaky to watch as a kid. Some someone else suddenly have that same smile. Yeah, it's a ooh unsettling grin. Uh, I also I never spotted this until this rewatch but the opening shot of jokes penthouse also with that weird whistling I, there's like several whistles going on at once
0: you might be tinnitus mate you might be a bit
1: tinnitus <laughs> <laughs> you know while he's doing a collage I don't know why he's doing a little collage cutting things out you know is he just having fun what would you say he's doing He's insane. How <laughs> do you mean? What's he doing? I don't freaking know. He's a clown man. A clown man. He's, he's got in TV presenters. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. While he's doing a collage, uh, the, the initial shot shows the desk, uh, a desk, and on it is a CIA folder with black and white photos of dead bodies smiling, which it basically said this would mean. Smilex, which he's obviously using uh, now, was originally a CIA weapon. So I like that real nice real world touch there. Are you sure it's? A, are you sure there's a CIA folder? It, yeah, I saw. I, I had a quick look. At, it's a, yeah, and I because it he's online. looking at
0: Vicky Vale's photos.
1: Yeah, he's looking at Vicky. No, no, okay,
0: the photos look- that she takes during that war is what he's looking at and cutting out. And so he's we're looking at this. Horrible nerve gas or whatever That has been used in a war in- I know it's the CIA thing But that's yeah. the connection to the that's earlier bit in the film That's what she made her name on Was taking these horrible war photos Of this yeah. terrible thing that she knows about
1: Yeah So it's 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 really horrible What he's doing here This is a, a, a practically a war crime uh, What Does the Joker have have a history Of poisoning people like this In the comic books?
0: Well, in his very first appearance, the Joker is poisoning people. That's that's the that's his whole thing. He announces on the radio that he will kill this rich person, Henry Claridge, and steal the Claridge Diamond at midnight. <laughs> and uh, the, the the cops like surrounds the home to make sure it doesn't happen, but he dies at midnight. It's kind of like a delayed release. Mm. Poison. And he goes on in that in the rest of that that, that very first Batman issue one. Yeah. In that mm. first appearance he is repeat as he announces a lie of the radio the next person will die as I'll steal the Ronka's ruby. And then on <laughs> and on it goes. And the people just keep dropping down dead. And that becomes known as um uh, Joker Venom is what it becomes known as, ah. and he can kill lots of different people with it. Um, he, he, he kind of to begin with, he uses it as this long-range means of murder uh, that you don't know what it's going to be on. You don't know what mm. you've ingested, a, a little bit like this. You don't know what you've ingested. Um, mm. You don't know when you are going to get it, but then kind of it, it eventually becomes the kind of a sh- a close-range weapon, and he'll put it in like um, uh, a fake flower on his lapel. Yeah. Instead of squirting you with water, it'll squirt you with Joker Venom. Um, and he'll fill balloons with it like he does at the end of this movie and stuff mm. like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and he, he he's immune to it, possibly through... Uh, the fact that he was doused in a whole bunch of chemicals to begin with, who knows? And, uh, but he can he can manufacture it with virtually any chemicals to hand. Uh, on at least one occasion, he was able to uh, synthesize a version of Joker Venom um, from a janitor's closet at Arkham Asylum, full of cleaning supplies. <laughs> I think it's appropriate, Will, in this Batman episode about fighting against the darkness. <laughs> so do we talk about the kind of darkness that we should all fear? And that's podcasts shutting down and going dark. How many times has it happened to you? You find a show you love, and then a few months later, it goes dark. No one fought against the darkness. It stops. Or or how many times do you find a great podcast and only discover it's only got like 13 episodes before it goes dark shutting down forever why did that happen because you didn't support them you didn't fight against the darkness like batman would Mm. if commissioner gordon right if commissioner gordon didn't support batman gotham would go up in flames and if you don't (laughs) support this podcast willie p will go up in flames that's what'll happen do you want to see will preston Burn to the ground? No. no. No one does. You have to support the shows that you love. And we know you love this because you're here every week. You need this. You need it in your veins. You need it like you're addicted to Joker Venom. That's what you need at Marvel vs. Marvel. Um, we don't subject you to intrusive adverts throughout the show because we don't have adverts. We're funded entirely by you our supporters, our listeners, our wonderful, wonderful people like the world-class wrecking crew. So if you're listening right now and you don't support the show, you're basically gunning down our parents in a back alley. That's <laughs> it's the same type of crime. It's the same type of moral issue at hand. You can show your support over on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You can support us for as little as three pounds a month imagine listening to all of this episode the, everything we're doing on batman 1989 everything we did on on the spider wars the original spider verse every all, all the other historical stuff we do and saying you guys are barely worth a cup of coffee a month well that's what we're allowing you to do not only is it barely the price of a cup of coffee a month me and we'll have to share that coffee taking <laughs> sips out of opposite sides of the cup and staring right at each other's eyes <laughs> uh, In exchange for your support And there's lots of different tiers on there You can support us at different levels You're going to get awesome exclusive bonus content On uh, on Patreon Like Obscure Marvel Now Will Preston mm. This month in the month of June We took a look at The Beetle <laughs> 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 We had a little fun with The Beetle, right? Yeah, it
1: was it was quite fun He was, was a silly boy uh, who has the power to
0: pick up a till. Till,
1: one handed one-handed.
0: One-handed. And he's powered by electrocuting his own body until he becomes very strong. Uh,
1: good old Stanley science
0: at play in The Beetle. Obscure yeah. Marvel is a is a really fun spin-off show where me and Will uh, look at the most ridiculous uh, moments and characters in the history of the Marvel Universe and make a mini-show having fun and ripping into them and tearing them apart, and we have a great lot of time doing that. Mm. We've also just done the um, Obscure Marvel League chart table, uh, uh, thanks to Peter Jay, compiling a list of all the most ridiculous moments in the history of Obscure Marvel. Lots of fun to be had over there. And as well as that mini-show that we do every month, every month we also do full-length bonus episodes. Mm. There's 72 up there right now, maybe 73, depending on when you listen to this. 72, 73 full length bonus episodes where me and Will take a deep dive into key, key, key important moments in the history of the Marvel Universe. Great stories and great events that you're never going to see on the big screen, and we pull them apart and we get everything out of them. It's uh, it's like this. Sh- it's like this show turbocharged. This show on meth, uh, and it's only <laughs> available exclusively on Patreon this month. We since across the Spider-Verse is in cinemas, we explore the sequel to the Spider-Verse story which is called Spider-Geddon. The inheritors are back and they are once again hunting spiders from across the multiverse. Doctor Octopus, the superior Spider-Man is leading the army against the inheritors uh, and recruiting characters like Spider-Gwen. Spider Punk and even the Insomniac Games version of Spider Man from the PlayStation uh, universe, and a whole host of other Spider People. That's Spider Geddon, which is this month's deep dive full length bonus episode. We've done some mega ones. We had War of Kings recently, mm. um, Maximum Carnage at the start of this year. We've done loads. Can you think what, like, I know you were a big fan of Maximum Carnage. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. But you also love the military-based ones, don't you, your little military boy? <laughs> yeah. So you like the, the, the Kang Dynasty. You loved mm. all the military tactics going on in Kang Dynasty. And Absolutely. And War of Kings was a lot of military stuff going on in that as well. Absolutely. Um, we deal with lots of big-scale Marvel battles and clashes on Patreon only. So you're going to get access to uh, 36 full-length bonus episodes if you're at that tier. You're going to get access to um, early access to each and every main show. We uh, put these out every Friday for the real subscribers, uh, which is really awesome. Plus, you've got all the mini-shows, Obscure Marvel and things like that. Always available on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. And hey, look, we know times are hard. If you don't have the facilities and the abilities to put your hand in your pocket and to... Uh, Put some cheddar on the table. Then there is some lesser ways you can support us, but they're just as—they're not just as good, but they're okay. You can support us without money. We don't like it as much, but you can. Um, That's by leaving us a really great review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Leave us a five-star rating or a cool review. Subscribing to us on Twitter, not subscribing, following us on Twitter, which is at Marvel Versus. Tweeting, retweeting what we do, telling your friends, sharing our episodes on social media. Just telling a friend that you who, who you know loves Marvel. You've got about five friends who love Marvel. Tell them about us, send them a link, share this show with them. That's how you can support this podcast for $0.99. Um, but the best way, the most important way, is over on patreon.com slash Marvel, and that's the home of all our awesome bonus content.
1: Back to the show. Viewing the Smilex advert at home, Bruce goes through the police files on Jack Napier, Noticing one of the criminal skills is chemistry. Him and Alfred decide to investigate Smilex further. Meanwhile, the mayor's office is in chaos, trying to keep the city's birthday celebrations going ahead amid this terrorist attack. At Wayne Manor, Alfred informs Bruce Wayne that Vicky Vale will be late meeting him at the museum. But there's just one problem. Bruce Wayne never asked her to meet him at the museum. At Joker's penthouse the villain daubs his face with flesh-colored foundation while a drowsy alicia asks where he is going from from beh- where he's going from behind a morbid looking theater mask covering her entire face joker is off to make some art the newsreaders not wearing cosmetics as they report about like uh, the smilex in the in the stuff is just a nice gag as well it's, i mean i, I not even
0: again i didn't take it as a gag it's a great it's a great bit of tension. It's a great bit of world building. It's uh, it it really marks out how this is shaking everyone. This is, and It this looks is. so different. It's so weird to see people look like that <laughs> in a major
1: movie. I I know, but it's like the way the guy's got two spots on him as well. I thought that was just you know overegging it for for you know for almost for comic effect in a way. Maybe yeah. yeah maybe. I I okay. You know, again, one of those things you can read both ways at the same time. So, I have to say. The Joker with <laughs> the flesh coloured uh, skin—it's it's something really disturbing about it. Joker uh, with pink
0: with pink coloured skin is horrifying
1: to look at. Yeah. I really don't like it
0: at all. Yeah,
1: no. has he ever looked like this in the comics? Has he ever done this to disguise himself?
0: Very first appearance. Very Ooh. first appearance um, when he's announcing on the radio all the rich people he's going to murder. Uh, one of them, and they 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 copy this in the Dark Knight. One of the announcements is he's um, going to kill uh, a judge. Uh, yes. And so the judge is sat um, playing chess with the, the chief of police for ages. And then he starts to feel unwell and he looks up at the chief of police and the chief of police has just got this, it's a, you know, he's got the pink colored flesh, but he's got this horrifying grin under oh. a, <laughs> under a <laughs> policeman's hat and a policeman's uniform. And they ape that in uh, in in uh, the Dark Knight, yeah. and it's just uh, horrifying
1: to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. At the Flugelheim Museum, Flugelheim. Vick- I didn't know it was called that. I I had to. I, I looked for, to, to get like the proper names of things to get like certain bits of detail where there were some holes, you know, some blind spots in my knowledge. I had to go to a Batman movie wiki, and they call it the Flugelheim Museum. Flugelheim. I I like that word. Yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be a takeoff of the Guggenheim Museum. I think very obviously it is. Yes, very obviously is. Uh, sorry, I didn't know if anyone else knew what the Guggenheim, heard of the Guggenheim. Never mind. At no, the Flugel- you're the only cultured one wow. in all the land. <laughs> <laughs> at the Flügelheim Museum, Vicky Vale arrives for her supposed date with Bruce Wayne. Vicky waits alone at her table for a long time until a waiter hands her a present that has just arrived for her a small white box with green and purple ribbons, and a childlike crayon message reading, Urgent. Inside the box is a colourful gas mask with a message reading, Put this on right now. The next moment, a noxious purple gas fills the room through the air vents, rendering everyone unconscious. Or is it dead? Do you think they're unconscious or dead? I think they're dead. They're dead. Joker killed them. Vicky panics and puts the gas mask on looking over at a silent room of bodies as the Joker in flesh-colored makeup and an artistic outfit arrives with his men. Playing Prince loudly on a ghetto blaster Joker and his men dance around the museum vandalizing all the artwork with purple red and green paint. Reaching Vicky's table Joker's men set it up for a romantic dinner with relaxing music Vicky remains seated and scared as Joker goes through her, por- her photojournalist portfolio, with the Joker taking a particular enthusiastic interest in the morbid shots she took of the Corto Maltese revolution. In Joker's mind, him and Vicky are both great artists, and he wants Vale to join him. The next moment, Alicia is escorted to the table, and Joker reveals why she is wearing a mask. Joker sees Alicia as his masterpiece. And has scarred her face with sulfuric acid, viewing her disfigurement as a work of art. I love this scene so much. So much. Yeah. It's it's just fun. Like playing Prince while vandalizing a museum in such a playful way works so well. And Nicholson nails the opening uh, line just, gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. (laughs) It's great, yeah. I love it. It's a very fun scene. Like, I can imagine... Like, th- This must have been brilliant to film, but also on viewing. I got a vibe of the 1960s show from this. Like, uniformed goons, campy prank crime, and the Dutch camera angles in places. Definitely. It, yeah, def- definitely. This could have easily been a scene from the original show. And I, I- think it's been tended to be like that. I also think, though,
0: that there's something truly disturbing and almost cult-like about how the henchmen kind of all like the joker now has this kind of almost perspective and worldview that he's putting out here that like this disfigurement and ugliness is actually beauty and art, and that's what they're kind of pushing out here and that he's got these these henchmen that seem to believe it. There's something a bit disturbing about that. That yeah. this these really beautiful images and pictures aren't. They are. They are only nice when we make them horrible and ugly. And the idea that he's going to take these beautiful women and mm. scar them and make them make them disfigured to make them beautiful to him. That's yeah. quite disturbing. Although it's not. It's not explicitly. It- it's it's that it's very much there, and it's very disturbing.
1: It is it is disturbing. I mean, looking back on this, it's like that scene where the bit where Alicia takes the mask off. I mean, as oh. a, I think think younger, it was more horrifying. But now I'm looking at it, it's like it's just nasty, not so, not as horror. It's lessened with time for me, but it's still the implication, the 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 the, the, the motive behind it, and you can tell that she is just you know she. Still in trauma with the, about the whole thing and all going mm, along yeah. with it, but I've always thought that with the Joker, with his goons, it's like why are these guys following this 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 fella around who's clearly insane? Will murder anyone any one of them at a whim? Why I've always whether it's the video games, the TV shows, any of the films, I'm just there going, why are they still following him? Yeah, but any any gang any of these
0: gangs are led by homicidal maniacs, aren't they? One uh, way or another. And they might say, "Oh, yeah, it's all about the money," but at some stage they're going to gun you down because you you didn't kick up enough up the take
1: to them or something. I'm just thinking of that bit where Tony Soprano beats that muscly guy after he's had his oper- you know after you had the gunshot wound just mm. just uh, just out of the blue, and it's like, "Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right." It's That's not like- out of the blue. Okay, seemingly out of the blue, but we know it's not out of the blue because it's his insecurity acting up. It's got. It's not. It's not even insecurity. So that insecurity. He's
0: weak. He's been in surgery. Yeah. He has to establish he's still the leader of the pack. Mm. So he, he looks around to find the strongest guy and then beats them up.
1: I need to rewatch it yet again. I love it. So the colourful mask, Gas Mask and the Childlike messages feel very Tim Burton here. I know it's supposed to be Joker, but it does feel Tim Burton-esque because I remember reading a book of his poetry. And there was this mix of dark and macabre with whimsical, childlike vibes to it. Mm. It's, it. You get this a lot with his films. Also, and I'm going to be doing this um, throughout this, uh, listing some of Jack Nicholson's lines that I love. Because oh yeah, let's I, hear it. Let's hear, let's hear it. it. I was in a bath one day when I realised why I was destined for greatness. <laughs> mm, okay, <laughs> I I like the- that one's okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, What do you want? My face on the $1 bill. That was a good one. I am the world's fully fu- first fully functioning
0: homicidal artist. That one's great. That one's brilliant. That should that's like that's like that is
1: that is the description of this version of the character. This is this is summed up and uh in response to Vicky Bell. Do I look like I'm joking when he has yeah. that massive grin? You're insane. I thought I was a pisces. It's got
0: the smarminess of a guy, who, like talking to a woman who isn't interested. Yeah, and she's telling him where to get off and leave her alone. Yeah, and he's finding these smarmy ways around everything.
1: Yeah, oh, it's like it's, it's like Pepe Le Pew. Oh, it, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's there's that. So this is a pretty wacky crime, but Rob, this ain't obscure Marvel. This is this is uh, DC. But I want I want to tell you, I, I I want to go wacky here. What are the wackiest crimes that Joker has committed? Come on. I don't want to hear about death. I want to hear about wacky.
0: Well aside from well he mixes them up, doesn't he? Aside from yeah. trying to copyright uh fish <laughs> <that> he's poisoned <laughs> with Joker venom. Bill Finger had this wonderful knack in in the in the 40s of um he liked the joke to write things where the Joker would have or oh, this Carmen Infantanto. I'm not entirely sure now who had this. I think it was Oh, finger, um, of uh, the, uh, the the Joker had oversized props, yeah. and he'd use them as death traps. So there's a um, Batman issue, is it called The, the Joker Hits It Big? Basically, uh, the Joker has a very successful night at an underground casino, and he decides he likes gambling so much, uh, he's going to build his next ch- huge death trap out of a casino. Um, and he lures the dynamic duo into a specially made casino and challenges Batman to win three games, each one involving the boy wonder as the game piece. Um, so Robin is the ball in an electrified pinball machine bouncing all over the place. Um, <laughs> and then he's tied to the post on a, uh, on, a, on a board where giant dice are coming towards to crush him. Um, and finally he's um trapped in a gas this one doesn't really work he's trapped in a gas chamber um if uh, can only be freed if his mentor picks the right playing card and yeah you that's, know. that's what um, is. but it's the it's, it's a giant it is the there's a giant one armed bandit that fires out <laughs> giant coins if you've got the money to do all this then you know you can do whatever you want and so it's just very ostentatiously like yeah. oh i want to use all my money to kill this one man in a mask yeah um there's a great there's a fun, really fun one <laughs> this is one of my one of my favorites uh it's called the man who wrote the joker's jokes okay so the, the joker runs out of ideas for his plots and his jokes and everything um, instead of he, so he hires writers to come up with new joke based crimes for him to commit, um, and he's got a really really good one. He traps Batman and Robin in a fiery blaze, Ooh. and he only allows them to escape. So the only way out is he throws them fireproof donkey costumes. <laughs> <laughs> So either they die, or they put on these stupid donkey costumes, and they're forced to, and they hate it, and they're grumbling all the way as they put on these embarrassing donkey outfits, and then they have to suffer the next day newspaper coverage of them running to safety in their jackass costumes, um, and that's a lot of fun, um... And uh, yeah, he but but then the Joker he kidnaps Robin and is forces Batman to become his new comedy writer. Which
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's his whole plan is to try and make the Batman write jokes for him. To be Uh, fair, though, some of the best joke writers have trauma, so maybe he's onto something. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Jeez, what a crop to ask me what my favorite bit of trivia was at the end of this episode. Fantastic. Jumping out of her chair in shock, Vicky tries to play along with Joker, who then starts asking Vale what she knows about Batman. Joker starts coming onto Vale before trying to spray her face with acid from a joke flower as a gag, but Vicky quickly reacts and throws a jug of water all over Joker's face causing the villa to fake pain as another joke. The next second, Batman crashes through the skylight and grabs Vicky. Using a grapnel gun, the vigilante swings them both across the museum and what, out the... Sorry. What's a grapnel gun? It's it's not a grappling hook gun. It's, a grap, it's basically the, the device it's, Batman has.
0: It's a technical term for something that everyone else would call a grappling gun.
1: <laughs> Is,
0: that
1: right? say, I, 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 Is that it, right? Is that right?
0: Grap because Grappnel everyone gun. because everyone else in the audience is going to be going. What's a grapnel gun? It's and what it's a
1: specific technical
0: thing that we don't know, but you do.
1: Okay, okay. It's like it's, it's like it's like it's when a grappling you, gun. It's like it's like when you know different types of Tie Fighter in Star Wars, and people are like I don't care. They're <laughs> the bad guys. Shut up. It's so what grap- what what is the difference then? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Why are we making the distinction?
1: Because a grapple uh, I don't know. Just just could you just go along with it, Rob? <laughs> You ask me to to just go along with things, and say, "Look, it's a movie. Look, it was made in the 1980s. Of course, the CGI is going to be terrible." And you're like, "Excuse me, several letters out of place in the because word." Because you,
0: but you've made the change, and I, I worry it might alienate. It's alienating me. I don't know what you're
1: talking about. Dear Marvel versus Marvel, Marvel. This is a great podcast to listen to, but I don't like it when they talk about grapnel guns. Four hours. No, five. I don't. What's it mean? It's a grappling gun, I guess. I'm looking forward to the complaint letters. Okay. You've alienated me. (laughs) The vigilante swings them both across the museum and out the front door. Outside, Batman leads Vicky to his personal car, the Batmobile, as Joker's men chase after them. The Batmobile jets down the streets of Gotham with Joker's men in brightly coloured cars pursuing them. As they hit the main streets of Gotham, the police start to get involved in the chase. So, the Batmobile reveal... Is just perfect. Part nineteen forties car, part jet engine. Just an incredible look. Also, I know it was stop motion animation, but the shields still look so cool when they activate. You can see the little bits. Yeah, yeah. I I never liked the cocoon.
0: I I, I never I never. I think it looked ugly, and I didn't like the comics had never had anything like that. Do we just surely just make the thing out of a strong metal? I don't know. I never
1: liked it. I don't know. I I, I like that stuff. Apparently, there was an unused design for the car by H.R. Geiger, which looks exactly how you'd expect it to look. It looked like an alien. Yeah, it kind of looks like an alien. (laughs) Uh, Speaking about the design of the Batmobile, uh, Anton first said, We looked at jets, aircraft components, we looked at war machines, we looked at all sorts of things. In the end... We went into pure expressionism, taking the salt-flat races of the 30s and the Stingray Matching Machines of the 50s. Incredible. Yeah. So a bit of a Batmobile trivia. To build the car, the production team spliced together two Impala chassis and the car was powered by a Chevy V8. The body was a custom-built fabrication and the whole thing rides on a set of Mickey Thompson racing tyres on custom wheels. Whew. Wow. Do you know I, mean, what? I don't
0: know. I don't know anything about these about cars, but that sounds impressive.
1: I know V8 is supposed to be a really powerful engine, but like it, I, I, remember, I remember when I went to Bewley, and you had you know the car museum, they had to have there. you know the beauty. It's, it's, I it's don't, a, but yeah, I can, uh, the car. I, can, I, yeah, I remember seeing some of these cars. I like can and it, like this one was used in Judge Dredd. This one was used in this yeah. film, and you just think about you're designing a car to be used just for a film, very in very specific scenes. Yeah, it's like it's mad going to that length. I love it. Like look at the tumbler from the Dark Knight films. It's just like that shouldn't exist. That's I agree. That one
0: shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Nor weird, should it one. be a Batmobile.
1: Yeah, using the Batmobile's own grapnel gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My name's Rob. I know all about the comics, but don't get me on the terminology. I can't even. What? What? Tell me now what it is. It's a it's a grappling hook gun. Then why are you saying something else? Something else. Why is a neogenic recombulator called that and not called a genetic ray? I didn't change the name of that. You did. Yeah, we're never getting past this, are we? (laughs) (laughs) The Batmobile swings around an impossibly tight corner. I love that bit. I love that bit. Such a great thing. But you look at the length of that car and think, that's going to have trouble taking corners anyway. unless Yeah. Yeah. Leaving the Joker's men to crash and cause a pile-up. Hitting some impassable roadworks, Batman exits the vehicle with Vicky, activating the Batmobile's shields as they run. Down an alley. That,
0: that is a that is so lame. I must admit, that's really lame. We get the big build up, the Batmobile, the Batmobile. They get in the Batmobile, they go around, they're blazing off, and then all of a sudden, oh, no, we we um we can't go any further. Get out of the car and
1: run. <laughs> like ah, oh. reminds me of like playing Resident Evil, and you have a rocket launcher or grenade launcher in your inventory and then you come up to a wooden door and it's like oh we can't open this door Mm. you need a special key and like i've got a grenade launcher i could just blow it it's like that it's like surely the batmobile could do something anyway down an alley they are cornered by joker's men in a car using the grapnel gun batman eh, batman lifts them both to safety to a platform above the alley as they hang high above the streets Batman tells Vicky to grab the grapnel gun as he descends below, leaving Vicky zipping upwards, screaming as she goes. Landing next to Joker's men's car, the goons shoot Batman, dropping the hero to the floor. As they inspect the body, they realise he's wearing some kind of armour, meaning that he is indeed human and not some kind of nocturnal monster. As they go to take off his mask, Vicky from a ledge above tries to get a photograph, giving away her position and allowing Batman to get up without them seeing and knocking them out one by one. From behind a fence, a particularly agile goon with double swords advances on Batman with ferocious spins and swings before the Dark Knight delivers a swift kick to his face, knocking him out. Batman then activates the Batmobile which starts up on its own and heads over to Batman and Vicky allowing them to escape. Right we've had a bit of Batmobile action (laughs) but Rob what can you tell us about the Batmobile from the comics? Uh, it wasn't, like, the, the word Batmobile doesn't
0: appear until, like, uh, 1941, so, like, a couple of years after Batman's around. He drives a car. Yeah, I uh, saw that in cool the car. comics I read. <laughs> um, but even to begin with, when he's driving a car, it's just, it, even when it's called the Batmobile, it's still just a car. Mm. Um, it's not until, like, yeah, later on in 1941 that he gets this car that has, so it has a hood ornament in the shape of, ...of a giant bat mask... <laughs> um, ...and it has um, fins that resemble... ...large tail fins that resemble bat wings... Mm. ...and obviously a very dark colour... ...that's the first like iconic kind of Batmobile... Um, ...and then different artists over the years have, have altered it... And, ...and and it's kind of like um, changed its design... Um, the nineteen sixties TV show, The Batmobile, there was so popular that that Batmobile was imported into mm. the comic books. Um, and then when he, when as we talked about in the first set, of the first part of, the, of this uh, this double parter, there is a period of time where Batman like shuts down Wayne Manor in the Batcave and moves to a penthouse in the city, <laughs> yeah. and Robin like Robin's gone and and he kind of drives a very muted... He abandons the the, the flashy version of the Batmobile, mm. um, and he kind of like has this very simple model with a stylized bat head silhouette decal on the hood, um, but the rest of it is just kind of like a streamlined, cool car. Um, the second Robin, Jason Todd, first meets Batman after trying to steal the wheels off the Batmobile, off that very streamlined Batmobile, when it's parked in a dodgy... Kind of crime alley section of Gotham, um, uh, in the Bronze Age. So, in the 1970s, sorry, um, the the source of all these cars was explained in uh, the Untold Legend of the Batman mm. as uh, as the work of a stunt driver called Jack Edison um Batman had saved Jack Edison from a burning wreck as a stunt driver um and uh, from that point on he volunteered to personally construct and repair batmobiles for Batman so uh that's how he keeps getting these wonderful wonderful cars <laughs> um and the popularity of this movie would mean that we get a um the 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 batmobile would ape the movie Batmobile for the next few
1: years That makes a lot of sense I, I was just having a quick look at the different Batmobiles through the ages And I do have to say The movie The Batman I do love that Batmobile a lot The Matt Reese one The Matt Reese one yeah, it's just, it's, yeah I love that way it's just, like a a up muscle,
0: just a souped up muscle car I just love the practicality of it mm, Yeah you know. that's what I want from my superhero movies Practicality, practicality. I just, want this superhero To have
1: the most practical car Imaginable I looked at the uh, animated series car, and boy, that car is longer. (laughs) That car is long. I love that car. It's so cool. Rushing through the forest of Gotham, the Batmobile returns Batman and Vicky to the Batcave, a vast underground structure built into a natural bat-infested cavern. Going to the Batcomputer, Batman reveals to Vicky that SmileX only works if a specific combination of tainted products are used. Handing Vicky the research... Batman tells her to get this information to the press. Vicky tells Batman how the public doesn't trust Batman over the Joker, seeing both of them as costumed freaks. The next second, Batman knocks out Vicky, who wakes up the next morning in her bed. Don't trust
0: me, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I'll
1: show you, woman. (laughs) I'll
0: show you how to trust people.
1: Confused about how she got there. Not only that, but Batman stole the camera film she took of him. The next second, she gets a phone call from Knox asking where she's been. And Vicky tells him that there's something important they need to put in the evening edition of Sunday of today's paper. Within hours, the Gotham Globe reports on how to avoid the, sm- the effects of Smilex, foiling the Joker's deadly plan. Watching this news report, Joker vows revenge on Batman. The music playing as the uh, Bill goes through the forest feels like peak Elfman Burton. Just dramatic Halloween music with like the choir playing as well. It felt very spooky. I,
0: I like the extra gadget of shining a light in someone's face if they're looking at you. Because <laughs> she's, she, she's a bit where she's peering at him trying to work out who he is. And he goes, mm, and he presses a button and just a torch blinds her. And she goes, oh, God, I don't look at you anymore. <laughs>
1: So uh, we've got the Batmobile uh, Let's let's talk about the Batcave
0: uh, Originally there was not a Batcave uh, There was only An old shed An old barn <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Where are you going Master Wayne? Just going to the shed <laughs> uh, There was a secret tunnel That ran underground From Wayne Manor To a plot of land far away Ish hmm. That had an old barn in it. And that's where the Batmobile was secretly kept. Um, But then in 1943, uh, the Batman film serial that we've talked about... um, ...gave Batman an underground crime lab. Um, And uh, that was introduced in a chapter of the serial called The Bat's Cave. And the entrance was via a secret passage through a grandfather clock... I love that. End Secret Passage. So the grandfather clock opens up and he goes on a secret passage. And so Bob Kane, who was on the film set because he's the creative consultant, because he's the only one acknowledged as the creator of Batman, uh, he mentions to Bill Finger and he goes, They got some kind of bat cave going on here. We should put that in our comic book. Um, And it appears in Batman's kind of um, daily newspaper strip, which is different to the comic book, but it all becomes one kind of mythos. and yeah, we we get um we we get that the Bat Cave appears 1943 in one of the Batman newspaper strips, um, and then the following year it appears in the comic books and Detective Comics. Um, and it's kind of expanded over the years mm. um, to have become. A, 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 it houses a supercomputer and a forensics <laughs> lab and a vast trophy room. Um, and then it's an it's a hangar for the bat planes and mm. it's multiple Batmobiles are knocking down there. There's no there's no like uniform design or layout that changes from artist to artist, issue to issue. It doesn't really matter. Some things though carry on, carry over. Some of the memorabilia there. So um, there are a full-sized animatronic Tyrannosaurus Rex.
1: Yeah, has yep. to be in
0: the back cave.
1: Yep.
0: Um, from a previous adventure. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and a giant Lincoln penny. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. And sometimes an oversized Joker playing card, although that's less common. Um. And. The, the Penny was not originally To do with Two-Face It, mm. was, it was from the Penny Plunderer <laughs> <laughs> Who's obsessed with pennies But then I think over the years They've retconned it Because they went You know who's not that popular? The Penny Plunderer He only did one <laughs> appearance And then we never saw him again So it's been retconned To be like Two-Face's mm. kind of thing Yeah. And so yeah I, I really like the Grandfather Clock Opening up yeah. um, Do you know how
1: you open The Grandfather Clock up? Do you have to play something On the piano?
0: No, that's just the Nolan
1: movies. Oh right, okay. Uh, do you have to turn it to a specific time?
0: Yeah. Do you know what the time is? Is it or midnight? why? No. What? Oh. It's ten forty-eight. Do you know why it's ten forty-eight? Here we go. That's why? when his parents were murdered.
1: Ah, oh, for the love <laughs> of know. God, Bruce, get just over get it.
0: Therapy, for God's sake, get some therapy. God. That being said, I really do think I adore the nineteen sixties. Um, uh, Bust of William Shakespeare Click yes. the button yes. The bookcase slides And the bat po- I love the bat Poles
1: that, That's They're so that's cool so, that Like
0: it's awesome. a very Thunderbirds thing I just yeah. love it And it's never been in a, it, it may have put up As a joke somewhere But it's It's never really been The proper
1: entrance To the bat cave But that's The bat cave oh, I've had a lot of fun With the bat cave in, in some of the games As well I, mean, I think one of the Arkham games You can look at stuff You know In between things I think you can look at A uh Robin costume and inspecting it, yeah,
0: yeah. That that first shows up in the Dark Knight Returns, mm. and then it becomes part of the regular real continuity after Jason Todd dies. Yeah, because yeah, um, it's a reference it's to like Jason a Todd Trophy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Ooh, <laughs> one day I'll one day I'll get to in the family. But yeah, at the do, back you, know, camp- do, you, know, do you know how that was? Uh, how the ending of that was decided on? fan vote you told me oh yeah yeah and everyone was like no kill him kill the child he's annoying (laughs) (laughs) to see a child die (laughs) never let the public vote that's my rule if you've ever seen the comments on a YouTube video you'll know you should never let the public vote on things at the Batcave Alfred continues hinting to Bruce Wayne about starting a relationship with Vicky Bale sorry Vicky Vale even telling her the truth about his activities at Vicky's apartment, Bruce arrives with a flower and asks to come in. But Vale is not particularly happy to see him. Vicky is hurt over Bruce's lies and him suddenly distancing himself away from her. But Bruce tries to explain why, but struggles. Before Bruce finally manages to find a way to tell her he's Batman, there's a knock at the door. It's the Joker and his men. <laughs> Watching Joker being forceful with Vicky from the next room, Bruce looks over Vicky's makeup tale table for something to help with the situation joker is angry at vicky running away from the museum but his tone changes as he pulls out alicia's mask and reveals that the supermodel depressed about her new appearance threw herself out of her window to a death laughing as he finishes the story can't make an omelette without cracking breaking some eggs can you rob that's what he says when he smashes the mask Oh, okay. Can, I thought it, that was you being horrible. No, that's that's that was literally his line. It's like,
0: oh. can't make a tomlet without cracking a few Gregs. Gregs. Oh, I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> God, what I
1: loved that anyway. Anyway, so I, I was, I felt sorry for Bruce Wayne not to use his millions to bang a <laughs> supermodel,
0: but has has he ever been able to this, have a? This broke ass guy turns. He's a millionaire. He shows up
1: with one flower. No, go yeah. home. Uh no Cheapskate. no. So as if I had a long-term love interest or is always constant like,
0: I can't love. Um there's a few girlfriends. I mean, Julie, I forget her first, I forget her surname. Julie is the first um the first kind of recurring woman that wants to date Bruce Wayne in the, in the comics. Um there aren't many. There's a lot that last a little bit here and there. Um on on um so like we talked about with the Superman um, episode that we did, a lot of Batman's kind of like older adventures um, mm. are retconned in, in the 1960s to, to have never happened but actually <laughs> took place on a whole other world called Earth One. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember now. So on Earth One, the golden age Batman um, eventually gets into a relationship with Selina Kyle, Catwoman, mm. um, and they uh, she... Reforms become a vigilante. Works with Batman. They fall in love, and they get married, um, mm. and a, eventually have a daughter, who becomes the Huntress, um, oh. and, and all that kind of stuff. And then that gets just sort of wiped out by Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it never happened. Um, the I mean, the important one around this era is uh, Silver St. Cloud, which is the best name ever. Yes. Um, She has gorgeous kind of silver hair, and Mm. she's a a late 70s creation. Um, She's a socialite that has kind of romantic interest in Bruce Wayne. But unlike the other characters that have come and gone, little girlfriends here and there, she is able to pretty quickly work out that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person. (laughs) <laughs> um and uh, she's able to even kind of come to terms with that and realized that she looked like it's all aspects of the same person that she loves even though she's kind of put off by the batman mm. Um, and that's kind of a th- something from the late 70s into the 80s quite a predominant kind of um, uh, girlfriend for, for for bruce wayne Um, but eventually she just couldn't handle being with someone in such a dangerous line of work. She witnesses a brutal fight between Batman and the Joker in which it looks like the Batman has been murdered. And she's like, I don't want that on a regular basis. Good day. <laughs> um, and Silver St. Cloud was, was in the original scripts of this movie. It was her and not Vicky Vale. But then that kind
1: of got changed. Interesting. As Bruce Wayne walks into the room, Joker changes his attention to the millionaire. Entertained that another man is trying to steal Vicky's affections. Bruce approaches Joker, rebuffing the madman's funny digs and whispers to him, I know who you are. Bruce, Just, just terrifying. Yeah. Bruce Wayne in this scene is terrifying. Yeah. Bruce goes on to tell the story about Jack Napier, with Joker pretending to not know that Wayne is talking about him. As Bruce tells a very unflattering story about Jack, Bruce grabs a fire poker, smashes a vase, and yells at the Joker, You wanna get nuts? Let's get nuts! But Joker, pulling out a derringer on Bruce, asks him, Ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Before shooting Wayne dead. As Joker leaves a traumatized Vicky, he uh, sadly quotes a short poem to her, before laughing and running away. Turning back to Bruce, Vicky is surprised to see the millionaire is nowhere to be seen, with only one of her with only one of her metal trays. Sorry, with which uh, with, with one of her metal trays of the bullet lodged in where where he lay dead. Opening the large present Joker left her, she faints as a white hand clasping dead flowers flies out. I felt very timber Burton that last little bit. Dead flowers. Yeah, in, yeah. What, in what way? Yeah, you know, it's, dead flowers. Weird white. I mean, hands. this whole movie feels
0: very. Tim Burton, everything in this movie feels like on very on message for Burton. Look look,
1: look look we 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 know this is going to be a podcast about me listing bits the entire yeah. bits of the show, yeah. so speaking more, of which more <laughs> joker lines, <laughs> well, Miss Vale, another rooster in the hen house <laughs> you sound you sound I forget who you sound like now, but but, anyway, I, I can't do Jack Nicholson ever dance a devil in the pale moonlight obviously, which is just ah. Oh. God, brilliant line. Uh, Never rub another man's rhubarb. I don't know what he's on about, but he always makes me laugh, especially with that bloody grin he does as well while delivering it, you know. Yeah. I like Vicky's first response to Bruce saying he leads a secret life is like, oh my God, you're married. (laughs) That felt,
0: yeah, that felt very much like it's been written for the trailer.
1: Yeah, yeah, that kind of line. I've not seen Kim Bassiger. You know what, if that
0: was out today...
1: Yeah, Twitter would go,
0: oh my god, another stupid Marvel joke line. Another <laughs>
1: stupid um, Marvel? Yeah, I hate films that try to make me feel joy. And um, they,
0: they pretend that that kind of uh, dialogue only existed like in 2012 yeah. onwards. Anyway. It's
1: like, no, this is... Oh, no. Don't get me started. So I've not seen Kim Passenger in many films, but I, I'm not being mean. I just never really rated her as an actor. I just don't think she's... Uh... <clears throat> Are they Confidential. Confita- yeah, but she was very deadpan in that,
0: wasn't she? She was very. She, did she win the? She either won the Academy Award or she was nominated. Did she? Um, uh, know. Eight Mile. She was nominated for that. I didn't see that. Didn't see that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not disagreeing with you. I. She's not in She's not in a lot of good films. Yeah. And. I don't know. She doesn't t- tend to have roles that kind of push her. Uh, but I, this I role doesn't require. It. This role doesn't require her to be. Mm. Tom Tom Hanks has got this quite this quite bad from Tom Hanks, right? It's the first movie he ever did, hmm. which must be The Bachelor Party, and he goes and does this line reading and this performance, and he's I've seen that film. Knocking it out of the park, yeah. and he's getting kind of laughs in the room and everything, and hmm. and he's really delivering these lines in a really over-the-top funny way, and he comes from this comedic background. Yeah. And the director pulls him to one side uh, and says, "Your job is not to get laughs. Your job is to love the girl, because <laughs> you're the romantic lead. Go and do the scene again." And what what is Kim Basinger's mm. job in this in this movie? <sighs> is like, what is she, is, she, is it to be overtly dramatic, or I don't know. Well, I, just... I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't I don't think I've been particularly rated. but I don't think she's got a huge
1: amount to do in this movie. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So I assume Vicky Vale is a character from the comics because uh, she appeared in an Arkham in the Arkham games uh, but what was she actually created for this movie and then became part of the comics No no she crops up
0: uh, end of the 1940s um and she's introduced to essentially become Batman's answer to Lois Lane she- Yeah I bloody
1: knew um, it bloody knew it
0: So her all her all her appearances revolve around in the 40s anyway uh and in and, and, and early fifties revolve around her suspicions that Batman is Bruce Wayne um and she's trying to uncover the secret and mm. Batman would always very much like those Superman stories managed to fool her by the end of each story. So it's exactly the same as 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 is um Lois Lane. Uh, by nineteen sixty four we we have that period where uh Julie Schwartz is the editor of, of Batman and he drops a number of silver age characters, and that includes Vicky Vale. He just didn't mm-hmm. like Vicky Vale. And it was like thirteen, fourteen years before she cropped up again. Not until the uh the the nineteen seventies. And she's um Well, yeah, that's it. She comes back and she's married. Um and she's been abroad. She does a couple of appearances, or one appearance, and then vanishes again for another five years. And then when she comes back in the eighties, they forget that whole thing about her being married, and <laughs> that's completely gone. No mention of her marriage or anything like that. And it, it actually says that we haven't seen her since the the nineteen fifties. So they obviously missed all of that. Mm. Um, she returns. Uh, She's been abroad in Europe, and she um, becomes Bruce Wayne's romantic interest again which puts her in direct competition with the Catwoman um Mm. and yeah she she's in she 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 is in Batman year one um very 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 briefly as a a gossip reporter um but it's not she doesn't have much of a and they bring her back into the uh, comic books for the um during the, the wonderful, kind of like 89, 1990, 90, after this movie's coming out, the wonderful Alan Grant um, and uh, Bray Fogel kind of um, era. Norm Bray Fogel, for my money, is the greatest Batman artist ever. I love No one draws Batman like Norm Bray Fogel. And he was writing with, he was. Great in the story, the comics with Alan Grant from 2000 AD uh, in the early 90s, which are some wonderful, wonderful Batman comics.
1: And uh, they bring her back. But, yeah, didn't really do much. Oh, fair play. At the Globe, Knox tells Vicky about the information he found on Bruce Wayne. An old copy of the Globe reveals that Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered in the same alley he laid the roses down in front of him when he when he was just a child. In the Batcave, Alfred continues to coax a relationship between Bruce and Vicky. At City Hall, the mayor gives a televised speech announcing that the birthday celebration for Gotham City, in light of the recent violent activity, has been postponed. Before he can finish his sentence, however, the mayor's live television signal is hijacked by the Joker, again wearing flesh-coloured makeup and formal attire. Joker tells the people of Gotham that he's not a killer, And announces that at midnight, he will dump $20 million in cash on the crowd. Not only this, but he gives a message to Batman. I have taken off my makeup. Let's see if you can take off yours. There was another good line I loved in this little bit. uh, Talking about Carl Grissom. He was a thief and a terrorist. On the other hand, he had a tremendous singing voice. (laughs) (laughs) Tickles me. Watching Joker's announcement from the Batcave, Bruce Wayne looks through the information on Jack Napier and remembers the night his parents were murdered. Exiting a cinema, Thomas and Martha Wayne, Bruce's parents, walk home but are stalked by two street hoods. From the shadows, a figure raises his gun and shoots the Waynes while his associate tries to loot them. As the shadowy figure retrains his gun on the young Bruce Wayne, he says in a familiar voice, Tell me, kid. You ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Stepping out from the shadows with a familiar, sinister grin, the figure is revealed to be a young Jack Napier working with his associate Bob. Before Jack can kill Bruce, Bob yells at him to go, and the two criminals leave the young Wayne child standing over the dead bodies of his parents. Turning around from the back computer, Bruce is surprised to see that Alfred has brought Vicky Vale into the back cave. What the hell? Oh, man, yeah, I know that's weird. Reveal here He's like, he's like, Ralph is like, I like I've, I, I've had it with hints, mate. I've had it with the hints. <laughs> I'm just bringing it in. Wayne reveals he cannot focus on the relationship with the Joker on the loose. When Vale asks why Bruce chose chooses to do this, he responds, Because no one else will. It's such a great touch with this film how both Batman and the Joker essentially created each other. Also, the guy playing... I disagree. <laughs> oh, you don't like this, do you? No. This is
0: this is classic screenwriters. The superhero and the villain, their origins have to be connected. Man. Try something else. I, I like that. I
1: don't care. I don't no, like... it sucks. Also, the guy playing young Jack Napier got the smile just right. He had that horrible grin. Brilliant. Mm. So, uh... It's the core of Batman's character. What can you tell us about the murder of his parents? Uh,
0: not present uh, in the first Batman story. Mm. Doesn't feature. We don't get uh, an origin and then here he is now. It doesn't turn up until um, later in the year, 1939. Um, mm. And we get a uh, a little two-page story that establishes the, the, the brooding persona of the Batman and where it kind of comes from and that the, the he's driven by his parents' murder. And Bill Finger came up with all of this. Um, Bruce Wayne witnesses his parents' murder at the hands of a mugger and days later he vows, by the spirits of my parents I will avenge <laughs> their deaths by spending the rest of my life warring on all criminals. And then it's expanded on um, a few years later in in Batman um, 40... One of the... the, the, the Issue 47 of Batman. Mm. Um, And we get that he's um, born to this wealthy family, Wayne Manor, all that Mm. stuff that happens, uh, makes the oath. But then we get the other things of like he engages in intense intellectual and physical training, realizes that's not enough. And then we get the classic line which we don't get in this in this movie. Criminals are as superstitious and cowardly lots. So my disguise must be able to strike fear into their hearts. I must be a creature of the night. Black and terrible. And then as if responding to his desires. A bat smashes through the window of Wayne Manor. Inspiring Bruce to craft the Batman persona. And... Uh, Yeah, and later on in the 40s, we discovered that um, he's hunting down someone called Joe Chill, Mm. um, a small-time crime boss, and then he finds out Joe Chill is the man that murdered his parents. So that solves the crime, the beginning of it all. Um, And he, in fact, uh, confronts, Batman confronts Joe Chill saying, I know you murdered Thomas and Martha Wayne, um, and uh, takes off his mask, reveals his secret identity... I know because I'm the son of the man you murdered, and chill, never forgets the look on little little boy Bruce Wayne's face, and it's the same look now he's seeing in this man's eyes, and he's terrified. He runs out for the protection of his henchmen and tells them everything. He goes, oh, it's, it's my fault. I created Batman. I killed his parents. And his henchmen go, you created Batman, the man that puts me away? My brother's doing... Te- and they all go, you created Batman who plagues our every waking day? And before he can say anything else, they gun him down. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and uh, then they go, "Oh, he could have told us who Batman is." Um, so that's how yeah. Joe Chill dies. Amazing. Um, yeah, in the in the in the nineteen ninety six kind of dark victory story that Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale do. They introduce this idea that becomes prevalent for the Christopher Nolan's movies that mm. um, the murder of the Waynes is the tipping point for Gotham. The wealthiest oh, celebrities yeah. in the city being gunned down and the killer never being caught because it, it, eventually Joe Chill gets wiped out from continuity for a bit. The, 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 the killer never being caught. That shows the city that crime had a stranglehold and the cops mm. are either corrupt or powerless. Um wow. yeah. yeah. Sometimes that's... sometimes Joe Chill is part of continuity, sometimes he's not. I forget where they land now. They, yeah. DC changing things constantly. I know it's mad. But I Getting... don't like Joker being involved.
1: You don't like Joker, you don't yeah, that's fair no. enough. Getting suited up, Batman drives the Batmobile to Axis Chemical Plant. The Batmobile's strong armor deflecting gunfire from Joker's men. Deploying an explosive from the Batmobile, Batman destroys the plant but as the car drives out Joker flies overhead in a helicopter taunting him before flying away for the city celebrations. In the streets of Gotham Joker arrives to throngs of cheering people on parade floats with huge balloons scattering money as promised on the citizens. Knox and Vale arrive to report on the event with Vale snapping photos. Meanwhile Batman heads into the city. Flying in the Batwing, his own personal attack plane. It's so good that we get to see both the Batmobile and the Batwing uh, in, in, the, in in just the first film. Because you think they'd it's, save that for a sequel, wouldn't you? It's it's like the uh, '66
0: movie where they just put everything in all the villains,
1: yeah. all the all the vehicles, everything, all, all of it. Uh, the, the the parade floats. It was a funny thing in 2018 when uh, Donald Trump was visiting the UK. As present for the first time, like uh, you, you might remember, this a group of people got funding for a massive balloon of Trump as a baby, crying as a crying baby. And I was expecting like balloons from like this scene, but it didn't turn out as big. And I was quite, you know, I was quite, you know, uh, <laughs> underwhelmed. <laughs> that's a, that's a weird connection, but weak. sure. No, I, I just, I just, I just remind me, always reminds <laughs> me of that. Was it a small balloon then? It was it was well. It's quite big, but I was expecting it to be huge, like like it like in uh, like in this film. And then it led to a whole bunch of lines that me and a, a mate started saying, like, uh, just imagine Donald Trump in the thing going, "Where's Sadiq Khan? He's at home washing his tights."
2: Never
0: mind. <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh, was that, Is that is that
1: is that a Joker thing? Yeah, because he says, Where's Batman? He's at home okay. washing his tights. I don't
0: remember. See, I don't, I'm i afraid, mate, I can't memorize every line from these well, movies we watch. Someone so at home
1: who knows that line will appreciate it. Rob. But
0: you look to me to react to it, and, and I'm, I let you down because I
1: don't know what I, you're I talking don't, about. I, 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 no, it's my fault, Rob. It's my fault. I do think so I, should, I should know by now that you let me down. <laughs> it's my fault. My bad on that one. Anyway. Uh, what can you tell <laughs> what can you tell us about the Batwing, mate? We finally it got it. Doesn't exist in the comics. Doesn't exist! Fantastic.
0: Okay. Um so in in uh the nineteen thirties, uh we get the Bat Gyro. A uh, very early Batman story. We get is the Bat Gyro, which is um, inspired by the very first successful helicopter flight, the same the, year, the gyrocopter. Um, For a
1: second, when you said Bat Gyro, is like what is that? When he's unemployed? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's
0: bad. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a, a auto gyro helicopter kind of thing. And it's got yeah. the Bat motif from the front and a rotor over the top. Mm. Um, he then eventually we find out that the Bat Cave has aircraft hangars in it, and we 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 see one of the one of the. The Batplanes. Um, I have strong memories of a story that introduced in the nineteen fifties because I had it in this collection of Batman stories. The greatest Batman stories ever told was the name of the collection. I mm. treasured it, and I have in fact, uh, for his right as lockdown started when we couldn't see him, I gave my old old nineteen eighties Batman. Um, oversized collection of the greatest Batman stories ever told to my my little godson. And uh was like, we're gonna read it over the over the phone to each other every Aww. week. Oh um, probably lost it now, but there we go. Oh um, in 1950, they introduced the second bat plane, bat plane mm. number two. Nothing's ever been called the bat wing. It was all called the bat plane. Um, it's a regular plane, you know. Um, but it, this one, I love this one because it's got gadgets in it. And it had um, the, the original bat plane gets blown up or something or lost. Mm. Mm. And so they build a new one, and it's a jet aircraft. Um, and it's got like uh, the ability to convert into a submarine and uh, things like that. Yeah, and there will be different variations over over the years, and there were like seven or eight Bat planes over the decades, but none called the Batwing, and none having that cool wing-based design. Of course, once this movie comes out, they, it then like gets entered into the comics, and they kind of yep, do it from there. Do.
1: As Joker takes the mic and starts taunting Batman to the citizens of Gotham, he spots the Batwing flying above. Telling his men to put on their gas masks, Joker activates the balloons, which are actually carrying tanks of Smilex. The deadly gas starts to spread on the crowd as the Batwing swoops down. Vicky and Nox try to escape but Vale accidentally knocks out Nox with her car. Using a scissor-like attachment on the Batwing, Batman gathers up the balloons by their supporting cables and swoops them away to high above the skies of Gotham where they can do no more harm. Joker. Angered that his plan to kill crowds of people has been foiled, shoots uh, shoots Bob out of anger.
0: That's the moment when he goes too far.
1: Yeah, that's the moment. <laughs> he,
0: he starts killing him, the only person that's ever cared about him.
1: It's it's, it's yeah that, that that shows you that that's the cracks are coming in now. Yeah, but I just like I did like his um his bits he keeps doing to Bob doing his doing his uh, Carl Grissom impression going. You are my number one, a guy.
0: (laughs) But that's how you know Bob's about to be killed. Well, because he plans him a gun.
1: He's he's number one. Oh God! Right? Oh God! I just spot that now. Yeah. Oh my God! Oh, that's. That went over (laughs) my head. (laughs) I thought he was just. Taking the piss, I thought he was just doing all like, "Hey, remember that guy? He used to be the boss that I killed. Do you want to see my impression of him? Funny, right?" Well, did well, not did not pick up on that. Whether it's
0: intentional in the Joker's mind or not, it might it might just be something the filmmakers are kind of saying to us. Mm. Um, I don't it's, know, but that's yeah. I picked. I, I thought uh, about,
1: that's kicking symmetry. kicking myself for not spotting that. That is ah, oh, that's good. So, Joker getting angry at Batman, stealing balloons is brilliant. Why did someone tell me he had one of those things? Yeah. <laughs> just. Also, the shot of the Batwing wing going up and then going in front of the moon. <laughs> Such a neat little touch.
0: Very cool, yeah. Yeah,
1: considering you haven't got the bat signal yet, it was very funny. It's like it's like when people uh, spoof E.T. flying over, the, flying past the moon on a bicycle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, God. I mean, he's done a lot of pretty nasty stuff, killing crowds of people. That's awful. I mean, what? God, don't even. I've got an idea of some of them, but what are the worst things the Joker has ever done?
0: I'm gonna stick with um, stuff up until this movie came out because I'm trying to stick to that in general. I slip, I slip into the '90s a little bit here and there, but um, in the. In The Dark Knight, which way do we do this? Yeah, In The Dark Knight Returns, which which mm. kind of came out before, just before this movie and a few years before this movie and everyone who made this movie kind of read, um, the aging Bruce Wayne comes out. It's it's basically sudden, is it sudden impact where like aging Dirty Harry comes out in retirement Yeah, um, and uh, to confront kind of like the new people that have... You know Made Gotham awful And the Joker When he sees that Batman's back The Joker comes out of uh, uh, Sort of out of retirement And um, forces Gets himself declared Legally sane And (laughs) They have a fight In the sewers Under Gotham And it's a brutal fight Batman breaks The Joker's spine But refuses to kill him Even though the Joker Is telling him to do it Finish the job Finish me off And all of that Go on old man Finally do it Um But the the police are on their way, and the Joker knows this. So he frames Batman by breaking his own neck. Yeah. Um, And uh, the police find the body, and they uh, launch a manhunt for the Batman murderer. Um, So that's pretty full on. Um, He, in the killing joke, which may or may not be continuity, same as Mm. Dark Knight Returns, Um, he attacks Commissioner Gordon, um, kidnaps him and tries to drive him sane. The first thing he does is he shoots his daughter Barbara Gordon um, through the spine and paralyzes her and then proceeds to take naked photos of her body um, and post them all up uh, to force Gordon to look at the naked, bleeding body of his daughter in... All that sort of stuff. That's pretty horrible. And that would have consequences that would carry on over to the Batman comics, whereas Barbara Gordon would be paralyzed for many decades. Um, But beating Robin to death is probably... As we alluded to earlier, 1988, there's a story called The Death in the Family where the Joker forms an alliance with a, a, a fictional Saudi country and they make him an ambassador which gives him uh, diplomatic immunity. Um, And Batman and Robin are kind of investigating what he's up to. Um, I think he's already... uh, He may or may not have already killed Jason Todd, the second Robin's mother. Um, Mm. And then the Joker beats Jason Todd to death with a crowbar and then blows the whole warehouse up just to make sure he's already dead and... Bruce just really the Joker becomes really full on the eighties.
1: Yeah, beating a child to death with a crowbar is just awful. But Rob, the people have spoken. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we. uh, Yeah, we should have really gone into that a little bit earlier. But yes, the end of that comic was left up for the readers to decide. As DC Comics printed a like a call number, and you'd ring it up if you rang ring this number. If you want Jason Todd to live, ring this number if you want him to die. And a landslide victory, the general reading public wanted Jason Todd to die.
1: Landslide victory in name alone. Jesus Christ. Joker's men clear the streets of people with warning shots and use a spotlight to find the Batwing. As Batman's plan deploys its... Sorry, as Batman's plane deploys its weaponry, swooping down at the Joker. Sorry, I'm going to start again because I've I've, I've, I've done something wrong here. Okay. Okay. Joker's men clear the streets of people with warning shots and use a spotlight to find the Batwing as Batman's plane deploys its weaponry. Swooping down at the Joker, the Batwing launches a barrage of missiles and gunfire, destroying the Joker's floats, but failing to hit Joker. In retaliation, Joker pulls out a ridiculously long barreled hand cannon revolver and takes down the Batwing in one hit. Batman's plane hits the street and crashes in front of the steps of Gotham Cathedral. Vicki Vale runs up to the cockpit to try and save Batman, but he's nowhere to be seen. Behind her, Joker holds her up at gunpoint and tells her that he needs to get her to the church on time. Calling his men on the radio, Joker calls in for a helicopter to pick him and veil up from the roof of the incredibly tall cathedral in 10 minutes. Out from the wreckage of the Batwing, Batman, bloodied and bruised, staggers into the cathedral after Joker. Really annoying that Batman was able to take down everything but the Joker. The way his machine gun shots just skim by Joker is funny but frustrating. Frustrating? Because it's like, oh, he takes out that with a rocket, and then he he he, barra- he shoots at Joker with the barrage of. Do you think
0: in this movie Batman is trying to murder the Joker with the guns? Well, why is he shooting at him so close? Frustration he wants to scare him, wants to make him give up, wants to make him go home, wants to make him throw the gun down.
1: God, I've read in, I've read that scene wrong all these years. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? And he, he's
0: actually actually like ah, as he's you know yeah. look, it's it's they ape this scene in the Dark Knight, yeah, where. Batman is trying to. He's playing chicken and driving mm. towards Heath Ledger's Joker, and he's screaming as he's done it because he's like, "I want to kill you." In this, I think Batman does want to kill the Joker, but he can't. He can't do it. Yeah. And in that movie, he's driving towards him, like, and at the last second he has to swerve, mm. and the Joker pulls out this gun, doesn't he? And he manages yeah. to. So they ape that in the Dark Knight a little bit, yeah. But he's not. He's not. He's. I don't think he's going to murder the Joker in the street.
1: That would make sense. That would. Yeah. So totally get that. Also, the ridiculously long hand cannon is—it's just a great visual gag. The way he just pulls it out from his trousers, yeah, that's—I love it every time I see it. Also, I've seen the costume and gun prop in person at Planet Hollywood in London. Wow, uh, yeah, I, that. Was, I just that was watched great.
0: a little documentary on the bankruptcy of Planet Hollywood: the rise and fall. It's quite <laughs> interesting.
1: I'm surprised they still exist. There's literally—it's just like a half museum, half restaurant, but neither's particularly, you know. What I mean, happened is, it was yeah. at the start, everyone
0: went because it was like, ooh, but that's it. It was just a novelty. And then eventually, novelty, yeah, yeah, we've everyone that wanted to go has been. Would you go back a second time? No, the no. food is not great. No,
1: no. <laughs> and I've seen all the stuff now, and that was it. God, what a weird business decision. Anyway, Batman pursues the Joker as he ascends the steps of the Cathedral Tower with Vicky in tow. Outside, police and emergency services gather at the steps of the Cathedral and are led inside by commissioner gordon. Arriving at the top of the cathedral joker sabotages the church bell causing it to crash down the spiral staircase of the tower narrowly missing batman and hindering hindering the police from ascending after joker. Slowly picking up speed batman pushes past his pain and ascends what remains of the staircase reaching the church tower Reaching the church tower, hearing the the taunting voice of the Joker all around, Batman comes face to face with several of the Joker's goons while Joker dances with Vale at gunpoint. Fighting a particularly tough goon, Batman is thrown over the side of the church bell hole. Peering over to the side to see Batman fall, the goon suddenly gets Batman's leg wrapped around his neck and is thrown down the shaft below. I love that shot when Joker throws Vicky Vell's shoe down the staircase. It's like a little nod to Alfred Hitchcock's vertigo almost. How would you think? Yeah. I I thought it was a nod. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, the bit where the goon tries to jump on Batman only to land behind him and crash straight through the floor actually made me roar with laughter this time around. Isn't there a bit in this where a guy pulls
0: out. Of, he does all kind of. It's like an Indiana was, Jones bit. That was earlier with the. With oh the source. right. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, exactly
1: yeah. like Indiana Jones. But this yeah. was just like ah. And it's like oh, that, never mind. <laughs> he's he's gone through the floor. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. They, they, some of the, some of the letters are right. This this film does have great little comic moments to it. Yeah, that work, definitely. That really lend to it. So Batman's oh, no, tu- no, Mark, M- MCU
0: make just too, too silly. Fu- Why they're got to make everything funny and comical in the MCU? It never God happened God. before. Why can't people just be stoic all the time and
1: sour faced? Oh, yeah, God, like yeah. this
0: nineteen, this camp nineteen eighties movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so how tough is Batman in a fight? Because he's pretty tough, but not he, he fights Superman for God's sake. That's well, pretty we don't,
0: tough. we don't really. We don't really get any evidence of being that tough in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s. (laughs) It's really... It it comes in in the 60s, in the 70s, really, where we get this idea that he's not just become good at fighting. He's mastered, like, dozens of different Uh, forms of martial arts and as time goes on that becomes hundreds of different forms of martial arts and and then writers say he has a photographic memory which allows him to all this kind of stuff um he's he's kind of described as being like peak peak human peak physical you know kind of like uh, he's he's, he's he's as good as an olympic athlete and then over the years it becomes oh no no he's far beyond an olympic level athlete and uh and you know yeah uh, he he in in batman year 1 we see him fighting like a dozen different police officers Oof. um and yes he has to use like gas pellets and things like that to fight but batman's always going to kind of do that but i think you know you kind of jumped uh, jumped spoiler alerted me a little bit there in in the dark knight returns he we see this this aging batman um taking on superman uh mm. in in the in the dark knight returns kind of future um, superman under orders from the government which he can't say no to gets into <laughs> this uh f- kind of force into this fight with batman which batman yeah. kind of really wants and he eggs it on yeah. he he uh b- builds a power suit of armor mm. um that uh, to help him kind of in the fight uh batman has Superman has just been in a nuclear explosion, which has depowered him massively. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: he hits him with sonic weapons that blister his ears, and he uh, he has a Green Arrow fire exp- uh, and a Kryptonite arrow at him, and all sorts of things. But he manages to uh, beat the crap out of Superman very, very briefly. Um, he's um, it, it's one of those ones where he just gets almost like Wolverine. He gets incrementally. Uh, more s- stronger and better at kicking everyone's ass as all the different years goes by. Mm. Um, and it, for me, it's best when there's an element of duplicity and trickery involved. Um, that's when Batman is at his absolute best.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes but,
0: sense. But yeah, he's, he's, he's meant to be very,
1: very tough. Yeah, tough enough to handle himself. Yeah. As Joker waltzes with Vicky... Vale spots Batman and decides to try and distract Joker by faking affection. As Joker is a little overcome by the sudden display of lust Batman appears in front of him and says excuse me you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight before punching Joker into the church bell. Batman grabs Joker and the crown prince of crime yells at him about how Batman created him after dropping him into a vat of chemicals. Batman continues to viciously beat the Joker while revealing to him that the Joker killed his parents. Punching him over the side of the bell tower, Joker grabs both Batman and Vicky, pulling them over the edge with him. It's absolutely mad how tall this cathedral is. Like the only cathedral I've seen that, like you know, that's that tall rather than big, was the dome in Cologne, Germany. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's more thin and tall, and it's just, it's just, it's mad to look at.
0: Yes, I don't think it's a, it's not a real place. It's obviously Definitely. a, it's a, it's an overly gothic yeah. kind of, uh, set piece, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Another great Joker line as he's waltzing with Vicky Vale. It's as though we were made for each other. Beauty and the beast. Of course, if anyone else calls you a beast, I'll rip their lungs out.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, that, that line always stayed with me from the comic book when I was a kid. Uh, more because yeah. of the ripping the lungs out visual <laughs> than anything else. Um... <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it's like a dad joke with a horrible threat. Right, so, bit of trivia about the final scene. Uh, the film's climactic final scene was overhauled during filming by producer John Peters. He changed it as to include Kim Basinger, his girlfriend at the time. The original drafts of the script featured only Batman and the Joker, and ended with Batman using a sonar device to lure a swarm of bats. Despite the fact the movie was over budget, Peters approved the creation of a 38-foot model cathedral that cost $100,000 without telling Burton. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because the whole scene was thrown together at the last minute, it had to be largely improvised by the actors. When Nicholson asked Burton why his character was walking up all these stairs, according to Burton, he had to tell him that I didn't know. Wow. As Burton later claimed, it was the most frightening experience of my life. Yeah, going up that massive set, Jesus. Yeah. Batman and Vicky hang precariously to the side of the bell tower above the streets. uh, Above the streets below is the uh, Gotham... Sorry. Sorry. Batman and Vicky hand precariously to the side of the bell tower above the streets below as the Gotham police shine spotlights on them and the Joker. Joker tries to knock Batman off his grip as his helicopter arrives to airlift Joker out. Joker grabs onto the helicopter's rope ladder, but Batman uses his grapnel gun to tie Joker's leg to a nearby gargoyle statue. I hated this bit as a kid. It's it, You could feel the I weight. Can f- I, can, I can feel I, it. Yeah,
0: there's something there's something weirdly like relatable and visceral about it and yeah. i remember feel, feeling having that thing of like oh god what would i do if i was in that spot
1: yeah it's nope. horrible horrible as joker ascends the gargoyle is loosened from the ledge and comes free dragged down by the weight of the stone statue joker slowly loses his grip of the rope ladder and plunges screaming to the streets below the next second the ledge Batman and Vicky are grabbing onto crumbles away, causing them to plummet too. But Batman uses his grapnel gun to save them save them away down.
0: Good old grapnel gun, saving yep. the day.
1: Swinging against this cathedral as a spotlight shines on them. On the streets below, Commissioner Gordon and his officers gather around the dead body of the Joker lying in the street, still locked in a grin and emitting a laughing sound from somewhere, inspecting the body... Gordon finds a small device emitting the noise, giving Joker the last laugh. Oof! So obviously, uh, a fall that high would absolutely obliterate you. You would just be a a, a, a puddle of goo. <laughs> I always thought the laughing box was a nice, creepy touch. That always stayed with me.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. It always. I, I remember re- it didn't because it didn't come across terribly well in the comic book adaptation that I read. One million times before the, I saw the movie, I never got it. I never really understood what
1: what we were getting from it. I um, always thought it was him having the last laugh. He
0: yeah, no that, that that does make sense. I just it always looked really weird to me. I was yeah. trying, it was a strange thing.
1: So he's broken his own neck, but that was on that was in the the Dark Return the, the Dark Knight Returns. So yes, really, yeah. But has Joker ever actually died in the comics?
0: Depends on your definition.
1: Um, here, here we is go all the
0: times the joker has died so at the end of his first the first issue where he has two two adventures two appearances yeah. he fails to defeat batman and robin uh, uh, yeah and so he stabs himself in the heart and dies <laughs> but then a panelist as we said hastily added that says don't worry i'm not really dead i'll be back um and then in, in another one called um the joker's practical jokers Um, he blackmails a whole bunch of pranksters into committing dangerous pranks throughout Gotham um, and uh, makes them basically into all Joker imitators. Um, Mm. And the Joker fights with Batman on the roof of a train and Batman punches the Joker off the train and he falls to his supposed death, but obviously he doesn't. Um, He... Is there, there one more in the 40s? Um... There's another one where he is not out of a... uh, Like an army... Like a barrage balloon. Batman punches him off the balloon. (laughs) And he falls to his death. But then comes back. Um, And then... Then in the 70s, there's one where... A construction site blows up. He's fighting the Batman. In a construction site, that blows up. They never find the body. They assume he's dead. But of course he isn't. There's a Dark Knight Returns, if you kind of count that. Yeah. And there's an interpretation of the killing joke. Yes, I know this interpretation. Yeah, it ends with the Joker telling a joke, Batman laughing really, really loud and hard, and kind of it looks like he's kind of like grabbing onto the Joker because he's laughing yeah. so much. But there's a way of interpreting the ending that it looks like his hands around the Joker's neck, yeah. and so he he might be killing the Joker in the final moments, uh, and that might be the killing joke. But
1: yeah. Just to just to add to this, uh the, the the Arkham games did a great thing where Arkham City uh Joker ends up dead and then Arkham um, Knight, night Joker keeps appearing in Batman's mind, mocking him, you know, like Oh right. It's it's it worked so well. I really loved it. It was a great three uh you know, like a great trilogy, if you will. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. With the Joker's reign of terror over, the mayor announces that they have rounded up the last of Joker's men, effectively dismantling what remains of Carl Grissom's mafia organisations, as Gotham City becomes a safer place to live. Nearby, Knox asks Vicky about their plans for the Pulitzer Prize, with Vicky simply giving him a kiss goodbye. Harvey Dent reads a letter from Batman to the press. Please inform the citizens of Gotham that Gotham City has earned arrest from crime. But if the forces of evil should rise again to cast a shadow on the heart of the city, call me Knox approaches Dent alongside the other journalists and asks, "How can they get in touch with Batman in answer to his question, Commissioner Gordon activates a spotlight with a Batman symbol on which shines the iconic symbol high in the night sky nearby. Vicky Vale is escorted back to uh, uh, escorted back by Alfred to Wayne Manor with Bruce's butler telling her that Mr. Wayne will be a little late tonight. Meanwhile, high above the streets of Gotham, Batman perches on the roof of a building, viewing the bat signal shining above, ready to jump into action should crime rear its ugly head on the streets of Gotham City.
0: Woof, there we have it, Will. One of the biggest episodes we've ever put together and ever recorded as we dive into the uh, the complete Batman 1989 movie and all the history behind all of that. Um, we thank you for your efforts in taking us through, guiding us through bit by bit that movie, allowing us to look at the trivia and history of these incredible characters and the building blocks that led to the Marvel Universe. I've got to ask you now then, your uh, favourite slices of trivia that you've learned uh, from the ba-
1: from the Batman today, well, it's pretty obvious. I mean, we've we've had. Well, first of all, we've had uh, <laughs> them having to wear fireproof donkey costumes, forced by Joker to wear <laughs> fireproof donkey costumes, and then the press take photos of them, you know, making them look silly. That was funny. Then there was Joker making all the fish in the river have big Joker smiles. So not 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 to poison people, not to not to do anything just so he can copyright them.
0: That's right, yeah. Which is mad, but
1: <laughs> my, my, the one that I lost it. You clearly know which one I lost at, which was Batman is running is presenting a radio station, but a hotshot journalist has figured out who he is. So he, he now he says who, he says he's Bruce Wayne on air, interrupting his show, and then Batman Robin faints. <laughs> Batman <laughs> takes Robin aside, and conveniently, an actor who's just been shot That's correct, agrees yeah. to play Batman, and it's like it's too much going on with that one it it ended me (laughs) and your your final thoughts on this movie will final thoughts oh god where do i begin i have loved this film as a kid and i still love it i it's one of these films where if i'm in a new relationship with someone i will get them to watch it if they haven't seen it it's like a little thing I do I've seen it countless times and I'm still even when I'm doing this podcast still spotting new things and appreciating old things more I love that it's traveled the line between dark and playful Jack Nicholson steals every scene he's in I love Cesar Romero and Heath Ledger's uh, joke turns as the clown prince of crime as well as Mark Hamill's tremendous voice acting turn but Nicholson really brings a sinister air to the character which just makes you love him and fear him The visuals and set design set the standard for modern superhero films for me and this Gotham feels like it like in such a way it hasn't done since. The Batman uh, Batman last year edged towards it a little bit but this Gotham captures it perfectly. Danny Elfman's theme remains one of the greatest film themes of all time. With Beetlejuice, Batman and Edward Scissorhands this really was Tim Burton's peak as a visionary director.
0: Thank you will um, reading this for this uh, episode um, you can check out all the uh, kind of Golden Age uh, adventures of Batman the early stuff and his pulp his pulpiness and how he then sways into uh, kind of like a more child friendly in the Batman the Golden Age there's a couple of volumes of that I recommend checking out Batman by Neil Adams as a great omnibus Um the Tales of Batman by Steve Angel Hart is also highly recommended reading. Um, that one has been directly referenced as influencing this this movie. Um, Batman Year One is one of the best Batman stories. Um, we talked about The Killing Joke by Alan Moore, um, and also Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, which uh, is very, very, very influential. Whatever you may think of it. Um, <laughs> In the next episode, we return to the Marvel Universe to a, uh, a project that people have asked us to cover since the very first year we started Marvel vs. Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Spinning off from the very first Avengers movie, um, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series look to flesh out and world build the MCU. For the very first time, we're going to be diving into that. We'll see you next time. Um, Head to patreon.com slash Marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show was produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com/slash Marvel vs. Marvel for awesome bonus content.